All right. And my uh, podcast this evening is with Kwame Johnson, who I've known for, good, good Lord, when did Amir start wrestling? What, what year? Second grade. I can't really remember the year. Maybe yeah, second grade. So that's 2009, maybe? Junior, yeah, something like that. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, look, quite a little while now. Uh, and, uh, Ami, what's your uh, what's your background? So, like, let's just you know go over what you're. Uh, you're a middle school teacher in the Chicago Currently, public school. Currently, uh, I'm teaching uh, middle school. I've been doing that for middle school for about the last seven years, but this will be my 23rd year teaching, teaching. Uh, in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What what studies are you teaching? Uh, I'm teaching uh, social studies right now. I've always yeah. taught you know African American history, United States history. Okay, all right, cool, cool. And then uh, your education background, what's uh, what's going on there? I went to, attended Chicago State for undergrad, and then I went to Northeastern for a master's degree, and then I went back to Chicago State for a second master's degree. Right, so two masters, yeah, yes. great, great, great. All right, so, I mean, you know, the podcast tonight, like I, I've had some conversations, it's, it's uh my uh the vast majority of our time spent together has been spent next to a wrestling mat so it's constantly running off to go you know this guy's wrestling or that guy's wrestling and what's going on so um but we've had some conversations at a practice or this and that about uh minor political stuff and stuff like that and then uh i remember an instance where your son amir was sitting in front of me with paulie and they were having, or Paulie was having a discussion about what he saw in Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting there listening to these two young guys talk about things. And I was like, wow, you know, it, when I was that age, there was nothing. Like, I, I knew nothing about no, any I had of no that idea stuff. About right, that. right. I mean, my parents had, I don't know if it's more in the news now or, or what, but, uh, um, you know, politics and all that is just a, just a much bigger market or much bigger thing now. Yeah. Um, you know what I what I want to talk about is some of the stuff we were chit chatting about beforehand, and it's the, like I'm a guy in a wheelchair, so like there's a perception of me that everybody has as soon as they see me, right? So mm-hmm. whether it's you know they get to open a door for me or what what they have to do, where you know, in all honesty, there's nothing I can't do. Like I, I can get the door open. It may not look pretty, right, when I do it, but I'm gonna get it done. Um, so, you know, and nobody that's outside of me, even if they sat down, was really, really trying to figure out like how I feel about that and how, you know, my life has been because I'm perceived in a certain way. I sort of put that on as, you know, it's a, it's a very small slice of it. Um, how a guy like you's got to deal with racism on a regular basis. Just you meet someone and someone's got a preconceived notion of who they think you might be mm-hmm. until you start talking to them. And then it's, you know, it's a completely different thing. So, you know, we were, we were talking about uh, black history month. We were talking about, you know, like, um, and you, you know, you know way more about that stuff than, than I ever would. I am not, I, I try to be as understanding as possible of things, but I'm not one of these guys that's the, the woke white guy walking around. Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> trying to act like I, I got it pegged. I know anything. And um, one of my like uh, golden rules in life is is never to walk around acting like I know anything about something I don't know anything about, because then I've got the opportunity to learn something. If I'm walking around like I know something already, mm, doors are going to shut off to me as far as what I can learn from somebody else talking. I tend to uh, try not to talk too much about things. Well, 
I try not to talk about things that I, I am not aware of as if I am aware. If I'm not really aware, I'll freely op and openly admit that I am not very familiar with that. Right. So let right. me just listen right. and learn. And right. I may comment, but I'm, I won't speak as if I'm a know-it-all on, a, on sure. a particular topic I have no knowledge of. Right. My, my uh, dad's uh, rule was the, uh, I don't know if who said it, if it was... Ben Franklin or Abe Lincoln, or it's attributed to a bunch of people. It's the you know better to be thought of a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah, you know sort I've of deal. So, right, right. So that's what I prescribe to for the most part. And uh, but you know I I do try and listen to what people have to say, and then I do try and understand. It's like um, it's like when we had the Brett Kavanaugh stuff, and these guys were like, oh, they're just faking it, and you know all this other stuff. And I'm like, you know what, you'll never, as a guy, you'll never understand what it is to be the most dangerous thing on the planet to a woman is a man. Like, yeah. that's statistically what's most dangerous to them is a dude. Like, to walk around the world and be the physically weaker of the two, you know, sexes, there's there's a thing to that. Like, you, yeah. you, you know, you have to take into consideration where you go and who you go with and all this other stuff that a guy can't take into consideration. So like, you know, th there's a certain level of empathy that you have to have to even begin to try and understand any of that stuff. So um, let's, so as, as far as you know, we were talking about earlier before the, before the podcast um, backgrounds and I was giving you like how, like I was raised by a guy who he wasn't interested so much in putting out the, he, I think he was more concerned most of the time with anything I did embarrassing him. Like that would be a bad thing. Like, you know, if so, if there was a time to parent, it was like, hey, you might screw this up and then it's going to look bad on me sort mm -hmm. of thing. He wasn't so much concerned about how I would go in life, where, you know, where it would take me and stuff like that, where you said your dad had a completely different uh, take on things. He was, uh, he was very hands-on. He spent a lot of time with us. Uh, he encouraged us to read. You know, he always had educational materials uh, around the house. And uh, he taught uh, grammar school for 27 years. Oh, wow. And sometimes he would take us to school with him. So he was very much about education. Uh, my mom, she owned a resale shop uh, on the west side of Chicago. And that's how she was like an independent businesswoman. And that's how she made her money. Nice, nice. So, I mean, you know, I, I think I like that the... We talk about past generations, the 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 way that it seems to me, and it's maybe it's just my perception. Correct me, you know, or put in your input for sure. That each generation of at least my family is a little less racist than the generation before that. Like I I've never had any conversation with my grandfather on the subject at all, mm -hmm. um, but like I've overheard my father have conversations and they weren't the greatest conversations. Now he's a liberal guy and everything else. So he was probably in his generation, a little more woke or whatever you want to say it than the rest of the people that they were around him. But he was still like, you know, the things he said, I was like, Oh my God, I'm never talking like that. And then to talk to my sons, it's a, it's a whole nother thing too. Like there were still taboos when I was in school. If, if you were a white girl dating a black guy, mm -hmm. it was still looked at like, oh, what's she doing, man? That's weird. Or or even the other way around. If you were, you know, white dude date, dating a black girl, you know, there, there was just a stigma to it. 
and to talk to my sons, that's that they their feeling on it. Maybe it's just their personal feeling. That's completely gone. Like they just look at it like you're just dating that person. They really don't look at it like it's a racial thing at all for them. I think there are more people like that. You still have a certain amount of people that oh, are yeah, yeah, yeah. hardcore against it. But I think that the younger generation, their experiences allow them to be a little more open about uh, the differences that people have right, that are right. not as serious as some of us make them out to be. Sure, sure. One of my, one of my, so the the story with my my dad. We we were in Bridgeview until I was eight years old, and my dad was certain that black people were going to come into the neighborhood and they were going to ruin Bridgeview because he had seen it happen in you know south of Chicago and everything else. And before that ever happened, he was going to move us out to Frankfurt and. You know, we we're going to be out in the sticks, and there wasn't going to have, you know, we weren't going to worry about that gentrification or how you know however we can figure that that sort of situation. And the ironic thing was was the day we moved in, our next door neighbors were black people and in the other area, in in the new area, right? And if you go back to Bridgeview, it's not very African American there. There's a a Muslim uh, population there, but not 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 a lot of African Americans, and. We got along terrific with the people next door. They were terrific people, and I think my it made my dad maybe open his eyes a little bit to maybe it's not as bad as you know what I mean. The guy worked for the for the railroad and everything mm-hmm. else. I would not say he was the most educated guy in the world. And then one of my best buddies was this guy Pat, who was an African American guy too, and he was around all the time. And I think my dad was almost like forced to be like. All right, something, you know, I, I must have been wrong about this or, or whatever sort of a thing. And it never changed anything in the neighborhood and it never did anything. But growing up, I definitely couldn't understand. I just didn't grow up with that, like, um, put on me to be, you know, like uh, to hate those people. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't understand when I would run across, we would run across people that did. Right. And I was like, whoa, really? Like, that, that seems so crazy. But it's Pat. Like, he's totally cool. Like, he's fine. Um, so, you know, I think everyone's got their degrees of it. And maybe some families are a couple generations behind mm-hmm. some of the other families. But uh, I think that it's, in general, moving in the right direction. And, and even though I, I know things are not as bad, you still have to be very cautious. You know, I have to be cautious and aware when I go into uh, certain areas. I have to think about you know, where I am, I've had to have conversations with my son and say, okay, well, you know, you might need to be a little more careful here or over there. Well, explain it, like careful about what? Okay, well, I'll explain. There are certain neighborhoods still in the city of Chicago that I don't think I would encounter a problem just driving through. Okay. But that I think it might be different if I was to just get out of my car and walk through the residential area. Okay. That okay. there there could be a problem See, no, with some people. That's that's interesting because I'm uh, I know for sure there's people that are listening that listen to this mm-hmm. podcast that'll be white people that feel exactly the same way about certain areas in the city that they wouldn't want to walk through because they're the white guy or white gal walking through there and they feel like they would you know they would and I think I think that it all feeds off of itself. Um, I believe in, you know, like I said, this is just my perception from, you know, where I grew up and how, how I grew up and I grew up, you know, out, out in the sticks. Um, the, 
the guys that uh, that so like I if I go we go to like um, some of the black schools in uh, you know Matson area and stuff like that. We go to uh, the Harvey area and stuff, mm-hmm. and like my son's observation is, Dad, well, why are the schools in such bad shape in those areas? And I'm mm-hmm. like, Hey, listen, the the taxes are picked up on the property value the property value is not very much here so then the schools suffer in that way that formula yeah and i go you need to understand that we're not all equal in this situation we're all equal as far as who we are the problem is the starting lines in a completely different place for one guy versus the other guy so if you're in that school where they don't offer latin they don't offer german they don't offer honors physics and all this other stuff how the 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 education is not even available to you to get in the first place. But when we do go to those schools, I've encountered people that I'm quite certain don't like white people. And I think that they've been given reason why to not like white people. But my feeling is, is boy, if we could, if we could all just start a dialect, let's start talking because we're going to find out that maybe every white guy they don't, you know, they don't like white people for the same reason some people don't. The white people don't like black people is because mm-hmm. they think that they don't like. Like, it's a thing that breeds off of. It. And if we could figure out that, hey, I'm not that white guy, mm-hmm. you're not that black guy. So, if, if maybe if other people saw us getting along, they could start to maybe open their mind up on getting along too, and then you have less trouble. I don't know. I like to, um, you know, to kind of touch back on, you know, the community issue too. You know, when I'm talking about those communities they have to be that I have to be cautious in, yeah. I have to be cautious in my own community as well. Okay. But for what I might see as a different reason. And it's just something that you to me have to be aware of sure, as sure. a as a black male. Uh for example, I can relate something to you uh at, about Lincoln Way West, for yep. example, when we used to go over there for practice. We were there for practice close to a holiday where the uh, gym was closed, you know, so I would go in there and another parent would go in there and work out okay. when the gym was open, but it was closed because yeah, I think it was area. run through the park district okay. and sure. it was a holiday or whatever. Right. And so he the asked me. treadmills and all yeah. that stuff, yeah. So he right. said, are you going to come in and work out? I'm like, well, it's closed. He said, no, I can just go through this area and then come down this way and I can just get in like that. And I'm like, thinking to myself, no, I'm not going to do that. Not <laughs> right. out here. Right. Because right, right, right. I just felt that my consequence sure. potentially for getting caught could be different, could right. be different than his. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I, I, you know, grew up in Frankfurt and like I got pulled over one time and I it was a driving a suspended license. I got pulled over for a taillight that I did not know was out. And I, what ran through my head was, I'm going to get arrested. They're going to haul me off because I have a suspended license. The officer pulled me over. I jumped out of the car, went right at the car. What the fuck are you pulling me over for? I knew it wasn't speeding. I didn't think I didn't think anything was right. The look on your face says it all. That's not something that you would do no. because you could get shot. Sort yeah. of a situation where I didn't even cross my mind. I was aggravated because, and you know what happened? The guy's like, you got a taillight out. Just fix it. And he let me go. He never even ran my plates. If he would have ran my plates, he would have saw arrest the driver right? because he doesn't have a license, and I would have gone to jail. So I was afforded the ability to get back in the car, drive away, 
where there's no chance. I would never have gotten out of the car like right, that. Right. Not to say that some other black male may not have done that. Right, Personally, right, you know, right, we were taught right. not to do that. Yes, right, right, right. Well, I'm lucky you yeah. to be taught that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's definitely a difference when it comes to, to law enforcement. And I am, you know, I'm, I'm a liberal guy, but, you know, I understand that, like, just because one officer does something bad doesn't make all of them bad. But I'll add this other caveat. My problem is, is when one officer does something bad and then the other officer doesn't say anything about it or covers for him because, and I, I feel you're just as guilty. And it's, it, I, I put that right on anybody who sees the president do something racist or say something racist and doesn't care. Doesn't call it out. No, it doesn't call it out because they're not really good. These people aren't real good, um, you know, students of history. Because all you need is the wrong... The German people weren't bad people before Adolf Hitler came along. It was that leadership that took them off the cliff. And then now, you know, they've got a history that's that's just awful. Well, I've been paying attention uh, to President Trump for a while. And, you know, I don't like a lot of the things that he says. But not liking him does not mean that you don't need to engage politically. Right. That sure. you need to say, well, you know what? Not my president. Well, you can feel that way, but he still is the president and yeah, you need to pay attention to reality in that. pay attention to his policies. And if he implements some type of policy that I feel is beneficial, then I'll give him credit for that. But the way he conducts himself in many cases, I do feel that he panders to a certain racist demographic. Yeah. I, I, see, I think it's a situation where he just doesn't want to lose I think it's fervent support that he gets from those people. Mm -hmm. So he knows it's a solid voting block. So he wants to just take it as easy as possible and like really, really, really singling that out. Yes. Because then, you know, it's bad. And then, you know, people that are, uh, you know, that won't tolerate that. So I, I don't want anyone to tolerate saying there's good people on both sides of the Charlottesville thing because that. If you're racist adjacent, I don't find it to be that much different than being If you're abiding by that, I mean, there's a certain segment of the population of Germany that, you know, they weren't fervent about the racist part. They were fervent about, hey, we've been the what, the, the Treaty of Versailles or whatever that, that held them down right. from economic prosperity. They were they wanted the country to come back and, you know, and be the country be that what it, it was. was. Right. Yeah. So that's all they were interested in. They weren't interested in killing all the Jews. They, none of that stuff. They were interested in the prosperity of the country because it was directly con considered their prosperity sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think with your tail between your legs after losing World War One, you wanted some vindication back. Um, so I don't believe all the people were bad, but the people that turned a blind eye, it was downright deadly. Millions of people lost their lives because someone didn't say something when that happened. Now, I know it seems hyperbolic to, you know, Donald Trump is in no way Adolf Hitler. No. But you can give rise to that sort of a, a rhetoric that is not. And I mean, if one person loses their life because something a guy says, you know what, then it's, that's not tolerable. That's not. When I, when I think about some of the things that he says, I think about 
some of the behavior of President Woodrow Wilson and some of the uh, racist behavior that he engaged in with uh, the showing of the uh, film Birth of a Nation that praised the Ku Klux Klan. When you're in a leadership position, there's just certain things that you should not do. And I do think that his behavior uh, takes away from what could be possibly a more a stronger political message. And I think he relishes that. So just to give you uh, a more specific example, when I was watching an interview with him and he was asked about David Duke and uh, David Duke's endorsement, which is not his fault. Yep. But it is his fault when he says, who's David Duke? He knows who David Duke Duke is. Sure. When he was uh, giving a speech in front of the police officers, a group of police officers, and he made a a joke about uh, not arresting suspects too nicely when you put them in the car, and he's laughing about that. I didn't think that that was appropriate uh, in a political climate where there's a lot of tension between certain communities and law enforcement. I thought that that was very irresponsible. So those types of things. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily like people want to. You know, if I say anything negative about Donald Trump, then I hate him. That's not true. No, I don't hate the guy. Um, I, I what he stands for and the things that that I see with him are not things that I. I, I prescribe to there's certainly not like uh, you know his view of success and my view of success are completely different uh, things um i don't collate um financial wealth with um success i don't i don't find i don't even collate it with intelligence i think you can be really dumb and wealthy and rich yes. yeah right i don't think that's a thing i think you can be extremely smart and poor i, I think that you can you know, like uh, the, the the things that come to mind are like uh, the guy who thought, you know, that, that worked out penicillin and mm-hmm. he did not, he didn't make, he could have made, he could have been one of the wealthiest people on the planet from that, that discovery, but he gave it to the world instead. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy that in my mind is successful and wealthy beyond imagination because of what he's done for everyone. But financially, no, not, I guess not real smart, but not, mm-hmm. you know, just not, didn't help him out financially. So, um, you know, just because I think that um, the best uh, one I saw to describe Donald Trump that seemed right to me was he's a poor man's rich man. He's exactly what if some guy in a trailer park won $500 million, he'd buy gold toilets and write his name on everything. And, you know, I mean, like Mm -hmm. just be this superficial dumb shit that he would do. He would, you know, mail away for a supermodel bride from Scandinavia or wherever, you know, wherever he could, uh, Slovakia or wherever she's from. Um, because he would think that that's how you do if you're a rich guy. So, uh, you know, so I think that in their mind, that's exactly what a rich guy is supposed to do is what he does. But there's all kinds of rich guys out there that are philanthropists and they do things that are honorable and everything else. And, there's just not very much honorable about the guy. Um, and then his policies, uh, yeah, I don't find it uh, um, great that you can shoot hibernating bears. And, like, there's just a bunch of dumb little things that I'm like, why is that even a – why would – how? but then I look at it and go, all right, well, that panders to a base that doesn't care about the planet. I mean, the, the thing he just did, he's like the ultimate troll. I think that there's a certain appeal – 
to his base on being a troll too. Like he did something with his campaign where they just bought a bunch of plastic straws and wrote because you know paper straws right. are good for the uh, planet. Right. So he's going to buy plastic straws and write Trump 2020 on them, and then that's and they're I guess they're a hot seller. You know, people are right. buying them because they want to just stick it in the face of anybody who like cares about the planet. Or it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. I think the biggest problem, the worst thing that El Gore ever did was not partnering with a right-wing conservative to do those things. Because if you just would have made it a not-political issue, mm-hmm. we could have had both sides could on board. Could have had people uh, support, more people support. Right, 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 right. I mean, Al Gore might have been all out for money or whatever he was out for on those documentaries. But, um, you know, we're going to find out. It's just like everything else that, the, that you know, we, I remember 10 years ago um, climate change not being a real thing. It was mm-hmm. all a hoax. And now they're, I think they're, they're on, well, climate change exists, but it's not man-made. So we're moving in a direction that's the right way, but it's not, you know, totally there. Um, so let's, let's talk about the education, uh, the, you know, the, the Chicago public school system. Okay. That's not something that is in the news as much as it used to be. It used to be, I mean, no. is it getting better? Well, um, I would have to look you know, more specifically at uh, statistics and things like that. But I do know that our last mayor, Rahm Emanuel, when he came into office, uh, he had a very bad relationship uh, with the Chicago Teachers Union, which was his fault. Uh, because at, we had a, a threshold of 51% to go on strike. 51% of the ranking members had to vote to go on strike, which I felt was low, but that's just what it was. Sure. So... Uh, he went downstate. I'm not exactly sure how how he did it, but he changed that threshold to 75 percent. So in anticipation of uh, implementing some of his policies that he knew would piss off membership. So he came in and we had a previously negotiated four percent raise and he took that away. And then he uh, uh, announced that he was going to close 50 schools. Well, not 50 schools. It was actually 100 schools, I think. But it ended up being 50 schools, which was, you know, awful for uh, a lot of children and uh, teachers as well. But I think the issue was that in closing those 50 schools, that one of the goals, even though it wasn't stated, was to kind of uh, break the union. He was very, very much anti-union. And if you closed a lot of these schools, you would get rid of teachers that had a certain amount of years Or some of them, you could stop them before they gain tenure and they would be out of a job. There would be less jobs. And I think it was had an economic motive. Okay. But one of the problems that I felt that got him elected is that because he worked in the Obama White House, I think that some of us, meaning black people, voted for him just based on that. Oh, right, the right. The connection, right. like, oh, yeah, we voted for Barack the, Obama. Seems he to be the worked Biden for Barack thing. Obama. Right. That means I like Obama. That means I like Rom. And right. that's no. That's not how it works. That's the guy I don't with, believe that's in the guy that. with the black friend. Right. Yeah. Right. So, right. no. And he, no. he blatantly neglected certain parts of the city of Chicago economically. Right after he closed the 50 schools, he spent millions of dollars uh, in other parts of Chicago. So, you know. Right, right. Well, I feel that's what Biden's writing on those coattails, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got a very, very, very staunch support from the African-American community. But 
I don't think they're paying attention to exactly who the guy I, is. I don't think so either. Right. It has it has to be bigger than just who they're connected to. Right. It has to be bigger than just this candidate is African American because we have some aldermen uh, in the community that have been in office for long periods of time. It does not mean that they are effective. Sure. So I think that sometimes. All of us, not I'm not just talking about black people, but that we just need to pay more attention to policy. Yeah. Policy. Oh, everybody. And, everybody. and oh that, my gosh. that it can't just be about feelings. Right. Everybody it, works the lazy way out. They, they work on the sound bite and everything. That's why, you know, like I was saying, I really like the podcast situation because it's long format. We can talk about things in depth. It's not something that... Uh, you know, the, the news, it, like I said, is terrible. The Facebook debates are terrible um, just because they're just such small sample size of everything. So a politician can make himself look really, really good in a two-minute soundbite or a little commercial. But, like, you know, with the technology today, I think that every candidate ought to sit down every day for a couple hours and just have a talk. Let's listen to these people talk and find out where exactly they're coming from without handlers changing what they're saying or anything like that because any it seems like anytime and biden's for sure one of these guys anytime any length of time he's talking he's gonna he's putting his foot in his mouth yeah for sure biden to me does not look very confident he does not look very strong no i i personally feel like if the democrats nominate biden they'll lose they're gonna lose i I I believe that that way for sure um now and i'm also a guy that so I'm always, always this big picture like situation. I always look at things for the bigger picture. I don't like to look at things for, you know, like I don't have a team. Right. I feel like anyone who feels like there's a political party out there that's actually looking out for your best interest is a fool. No. Because th- they're not. Uh, now, I probably line up better on the Democratic side than I do the Republican side just because I have a bottom-up, feeling about the economy which is if you feed the bottom everything will rise with the bottom if you just feed the top if you just cut you know massive tax breaks to the super wealthy it doesn't trickle down they they hire people to make sure it doesn't trickle down that's their job because every single year walmart can have a bottom line of a hundred billion dollars in a year that they made or that they did Next year, they want to do $101 billion. It doesn't matter what the numbers is all that matters. So they're going to try and, you know, wrench down that trickle down as best as they can, and it won't be there. And I just want to see people have an opportunity. I prescribe to the theory that I'm not looking for equal results. I don't think that's a possibility. I'm looking for equal opportunity so that we can all have a starting position that's the same and Whoever works harder gets there. That's mm-hmm. fine by me. But the Trump thing, I'm torn right now between looking at these 20, whatever it was, 25, 23 now, whatever it is, candidates. There's a couple of them out there that I like, um, like what they have to say. I've listened to them at length. Um, some have been on podcasts. Sanders was just on Rogan. Um, Andrew Yang was on Rogan. But I'm not positive that I, I don't think I'll be that upset if Trump wins a second term i think the longer he's there the more rope you're giving this guy to hang himself on as far as it goes and i just look at it like you're never going to get progressive policies passed until the nation as a whole is kind of fed up with, fed up with right, right right the other way 
So, and I don't think that Trump is in any way a conservative. And it's been so much fun for me being a guy that used to argue so much on Facebook with people that were self-proclaimed conservatives that turned out you're not conservative. You're backing this guy here who's not a conservative at all. If you're a conservative, you should be worried about the deficit. This guy keeps proclaiming that the economy's in the greatest condition it's ever been in in the history of ever, and we're running a $1.2 trillion deficit right now. Mm. If we don't pay our bills when we're doing well, when are we going to pay our bills? I mean, it's, it's, it's a bad situation that you're doing. If, if you're a conservative, which they're not, then your hair would be on fire because we're running up this debt. So it's not good. Um, I do think that um, if the election were held tomorrow, that he would win. Do you? I don't know. Um, I do. I, I think a, I, I think we're a couple of just watching the markets and stuff like that. I think we're a couple of another bad days like two days ago where it dropped 800 points mm-hmm. away from Donald Trump not wanting to be president. Because I think Donald Trump's more... The feeling I get from the guy is he's more concerned about himself and you know his legacy and all the other stuff. If he sniffs out that this thing's going to go south, he, he's got no levers to pull. He's been forcing interest rates down as hard as he can. He's running a deficit like he is. There's nothing you... What's he going to do? Double the spending? Do you think he would actually walk away? Um, I think that he'll start doing stuff like he did that would, I guess, would hit back on the racism stuff. I was blown away... Um, yesterday or two days ago with his statements about the uh, squad not being allowed into Israel. Did you see that? Yes, I did. I was blown away because, to me, those are Americans. Those are American elected officials. Whether you agree with them or not, they're still an American. I would be just as upset if if, uh, Barack Obama would have said, hey, you know, Germany, you shouldn't let Stephen King in there because he's a big racist. And if you let him in there, then it looks like you're, you know, abiding by racism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's not good for your history. I'd be like, wait a minute, Barack. That's Germany. These are, this is an American. Yeah, yeah. He was a, duly elected by his constituents. He and he is a citizen of this country where he's one of your constituents. You can't say you that shouldn't do in public. That. No. no. So I was blown away by that. And I think that. He'll do more things like that that have to chip away at reasonable people. The The delusion that both parties have is that we just need our base. There's 32% Democrat base and 32% Republican base. And everybody in the middle can kind of go left or right. I voted for George W. Bush the first time out. I liked mm-hmm. what he had to say. I thought he was right on the money. I was wrong. I didn't vote for him the second time. But the first time out, I voted for him. If... If Donald Trump dis- decides that he doesn't want to, um, you know, uh, I don't think he'll walk away. Because walking away, that's not yeah, his structure. No. I think what he'll do is sabotage himself and then fake the, it's a rigged system and, you know what I mean, all this other yeah. stuff. He'll create a bunch of strife because his campaign was exploring a network that they were going to open up. I don't think he wanted to be president the first time. I think his wife was ex- it was. Not thrilled in the slightest. I, I, I feel the same way. I don't think that that being the first lady is a job. Yeah, it's sure. a major job. Right. And She's I don't absent. think that that's what she signed up for mm-hmm. when she uh, married Mr. Trump. And you don't see hiding her hair ever. No. I mean, she's never around. She doesn't. From what I hear, she doesn't even live at the White House. 
So, you know what I mean? Like, she's not doing that job. because right, she's, she's not being a first lady. She didn't want to do that job. She's no. a trophy wife, and that's what she wants to be. Um, everything about the guy, for me, personally, is douchey. It's like the most douchey kind of thing that's ever. Well, that's been my, that's been my dilemma with him in trying to focus on policy. Like, let me try to look at this guy's policy. But he's constantly saying and doing things right. that make me say, you know, this guy is... I just I can't take them. No, take right. Him. I, I can't either. And I think the only thing that, that leans me towards, boy, it'd be great if he was out of office, is the uh, judicial appointments. Those, Bob. Those are long-term. Those are long-term, and there's way too much power there that this guy— and, you know, I don't think for one instant that Donald Trump is finding these people. I think that the people behind Donald Trump are finding these right. people because they know the agenda and they want to get it out there. So th- that bothers me, but— the destruction that he's doing to his own party. These people can no longer run on Christian values. He has none of that. He runs right. dogs, porn stars. Um, he's got three baby mamas. Like he, he, he absolutely yeah. is not the family values guy. No. That, so that's gone. If you back that guy, don't tell me 10 years from now about family values because I want to hear about it. Well, see, that was another huge issue I had when he endorsed Roy Moore. Oh, good I Lord. had a serious problem with that. Yeah, it, guys not allowed in the mall. It's one thing for him to stay out of it. He endorsed him. And there was very compelling evidence right. of what Roy Moore had done. Listen, I got in a lot of trouble as a kid. They never banned me from the mall. I mean, if you can't go in the mall, and they didn't ban him from the mall when he was a kid. They banned him an from adult. the He was an adult hitting on children in the mall. And they said, this guy can't be around kids. And... Right, and then he's got all these women. And I know, you know, women are just dying to come out of the woodwork so they can get smeared Ask, by people. Yeah. Right, right. But so yeah, no, that was that's disturbing. And then I mean, they're the list of things. I, and I, I know a lot of Trump supporters that I love dearly. Um, I, I really do. They're they're. I know they're terrific people. I think some of it is they don't see the things that he's doing. I know. I think they the news that they watch doesn't put any of this stuff out there and they certainly don't put it in a way that you can think about it where you're like oh man yeah, maybe that's not right right um my sons and i were talking the other day i'm like you know there's a lot of things that when it's thrown out there it seems like a really good idea but if you actually sit down and dissect it it's not that great of an idea and i gave him one i said listen do they want to um the trump administration would like to move our country into a merit-based immigration policy and i'm like okay so and i explained to my son i'm like that means that they want people that have a phd they want people that have something to contribute to it that that are going to come get you know big jobs and everything else that are that are terrific and he's like well that sounds pretty good don't we want the brightest and the best in the country go no one's stopping that from happening today right so we're still getting that but I go, son, on your um, list of, you had a list of 50 jobs that you wanted to have. Is strawberry picker on there? No. Is watermelon harvester on your list? No. Do you want to clean hotel rooms? No. Do you want to mow lawns? So who's no. going to do those jobs? Right. I go, and don't those jobs feed the economy? Right. Feed those jobs economy? are the bottom of the economy, and those people still need to buy 15, yeah. shoes and T-shirts and cars and rent apartments. All this stuff needs to happen. And I go, but... If we if we shut that down and the only people that we bring in are the people that are getting engineering degrees, I go, son, isn't an engineer one of your jobs that you'd like to have? 
I go, the, the competition just got tougher. Yeah. Because now this guy from India is going to get your job that you're not going to get. So I go, how is that helpful to you? And I did it, the the, the uh, anecdote or the, the metaphor that I use is always, we, I live on a lake. And the lake was severely um, wiped out. Like 80% of the fish were killed in the lake. So we were starting from almost no fish in the lake. And we were stocking the lake. What we like to catch is muskies. We like to catch perch and, and game fish and stuff mm-hmm. out of the lake. But the thing that you have to stock in the lake the most is minnows. Because if you just go to the lake and you just stock muskies in there, what happens? The muskies have to eat the other muskies. Right. It doesn't work out. You don't get. But if I just stock 10 muskies in my 10-acre lake, but I stock 20,000 minnows in there, well, now we're building this ecosystem. Then I can put some perch in there and I can put some other fish. And then everything balances out. And then everything thrives. Then at one point, you can just take your hands off and go, look at it. it work. Circle of life, all working out fine. If all I put is lions in the jungle, sooner or later, their lions going to eat the lions. So, you know, it's not so good. And, I, you know, like there's going to be people that, that have and have, that people that have not. Some of it's on them. There, there's definitely lazy white people, lazy black. There's, there, there's just, yeah. that's human nature. It happens. But uh, I like to see policies in place that help the bottom because I believe if you took all of the wealth away from the wealthiest people but you left their systems in place, you left Walmart in place, you left Amazon in place, but you you stripped them all of their wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Ten years from now they'd have all that wealth right back again. Well, it's like when you talk about these uh say programs that help the people that may be considered at the bottom. Sure. Coming from a perspective of a teacher that, that benefit that benefits me. Right. Uh, the people I serve in the community I serve, many of them are uh, in poverty. Chicago public schools, a large percentage of the people, that the students are considered to be in poverty, receiving a free or reduced lunch. Yeah. So it's not to my benefit as an educator to have students in the school that are not being fed, are not being housed properly. How does that uh, benefit society overall in the long term. Well, see, I now I would put that. it on right overall. That that's where I would go with the bigger picture. I would say it the 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 white guy that lives in uh, Piatone or Wilmington, it's not going to benefit you either if this young man who lives in the inner city of Chicago does not get an education and does not be become a contributing part of society. Right. So if we can help the bottom, just like putting the minnows in the lake, then. All of us in the end are going to be helped, right? If you're a concrete contractor and you live in New Lenox, and now there's all these guys from the inner city that got great educations and now they've got great jobs, guess what? There's going to be more concrete work that needs to be done because these people are going to build families, houses, more roads. All that stuff's got to happen. If all these people don't have educations, then what? And I think, you know, uh, in public school, there's because there's uh, an increasing push to go back to promoting more trades. And that's something that's also, uh, I think, going to be highly beneficial in the long run. There was a long term uh, idea about like, OK, college, college, college. But not everybody wants to go to college or needs to go to college. Sure. There need to be other options and jobs, I feel, are one of the biggest issues uh, in the inner city, because I think a lot of the crime is driven by the lack of economic opportunity. Yeah, so, I mean, let's talk about, uh, I know another hot topic is always minimum wage. People get really, really infuriated about minimum wage. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I always try and spin it like, listen, you know, why, we're always talking about minimum wage. Why are we never talking about maximum wage? You know, I mean, why aren't we ever saying, hey, maybe the CEO of McDonald's isn't worth $30 million a year mm-hmm. for, you know, saying ba 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 sounds good. Because he didn't even come up with ba 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 He just said, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. And now he's $30 million richer because he was there for one year. Where, you know, so maybe that guy doesn't need to make that kind of money. But people get offended. Somehow get, I, don't, I, I can't wrap my brain around it. But they get offended because I'm somehow... Like if that's a socialist thought or that's like not uh, free enterprise or something like that. But the guy who's trying to get a job and just get by, he's not. Well, I think in that, that if you're working know. and you're willing to work yep, uh, 40 hours or more a week, you should be able to have a decent standard of living. I think I, when I had my first uh, job outside of working for my mom, this was in 1988. I was making three dollars and thirty-five cents an yeah, hour. Right. That was the minimum wage. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure what the minimum wage is now, but thirty some odd years later, I think it's I, seven and a quarter. I don't or think that, something like that you know, based on the say the rate of inflation, I don't think no. it's really increased at all. No, I know it has. So how yeah, how are it. you supposed to live off of those jobs? And some people will say, well, those jobs are not meant for adults. I don't know who who says that. I don't think that. I think the problem is so okay. When I got injured, I was put in the hospital in Chicago, Mm -hmm. and the people that were when I when I was injured, I lost forty pounds. I was laid up where I could not do a thing. So pretty much, you know, I had people twenty four seven helping me eat, helping me get dressed, wiping my ass. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is what their job was, and you know what? You become pretty dependent on these people and pretty happy when they show up, especially when, you know, you're right. You need your urine emptied and stuff like that. Like, you know, yeah. I'm, I was jacked up like, you know, really bad. So, you know, you become dependent on these people. You talk to these people, all this other stuff. You start hearing about their life. And I will tell you that the, they're called PCTs, patient care technicians is mm-hmm. what they are. And they make nine bucks an hour down there doing this job. That's, it's a bad job. Yeah. It's not a good job. But it's one of the only jobs that's readily available to them in that area with no education. So you don't need an education to wipe right. an ass. Um, so, you know, it's a job they can train to do in no time and everything else. And, you know, these people are working. You see them working 50, 60 hours a week at $9 an hour. Now, you've got no life outside of this life here. And then the other problem that the privileged guy who's you know been brought up and he's got money and everything else and he's worried about his taxes going to that is listen if that guy would just make 15 or 16 bucks an hour he's not going to qualify for assistance anymore and then you don't have to pay for him right. while he's making nine dollars an hour though he does qualify for that assistance because he can't pay the rent so he is working a full-time job more than that more than that right. And he is still on government assistance. Right. Because you have this uh, uh, notion that if you are on government assistance, that you're lazy and that you don't want to work. Right. And that's not necessarily nope. the case. Of course, you got you have people that abuse all types of systems like that. Absolutely. That's just not necessarily the case. Right. A lot of these people are working regular jobs, as you point but out. But that's not color discriminant. Like no. those people, there's plenty of white people that are, you yes. know. I mean, there's, there's towns down south that are... 80% white and 90, 90% of the people are on some sort of assistance mm-hmm. down there. So, I mean, it's, I, I find that there's, and it drives me nuts with some of my, my friends that I, I look at it like there is a 
There's a war going on. You are getting screwed, guy. You're just not looking at the right people. The people you're getting screwed by are the wealthy people, the people who are running the hospital. There are plenty of vice people with vice president monikers on their desk making $180,000 a year to twiddle their thumbs, to barely ever be in the office. Well, this guy's making $9 an hour, sweating his ass off, wiping asses for 60 hours a week, and he can't make ends meet. Well, you know, for, in the last 10 years, I've paid a lot more attention to, you know, the politics uh, in the state of Illinois and nationally. Uh, when Governor Rauner was in office, uh, they were going to close my alma mater, Chicago State. And that was a, a, a major issue uh, for me in that if that state school had not been available, then I would not have had the opportunity to go to college because based on how much it cost, it was very low cost, right? Uh, about $1,000 a semester full time back in the uh, early 90s where my parents could send my brother and I to college and we were able to get four-year college degrees. Sure. So that was an opportunity for us to move up economically. Mm -hmm. And now that opportunity was potentially being removed. Fortunately, right. it did not happen, but it was something that was, uh, that got, definitely got my attention. See, now, right. Now that's the thing. Right, right. There you go. Okay. So it got your attention. It probably got other people's attention. I look at the Donald Trump thing as he's getting a lot of attention Sometimes it's not from the right people as far as he's concerned. You know what I mean? Like he's getting attention as far as, you know, you got millions of women out there marching with the pussy hats on and everything else because they see this guy saying these things and mm -hmm. it's brought it to their attention that, hey, mm -hmm. he's no good for what I care about. Mm -hmm. So now I'm up in arms. I'm going to do this. You know, historically, midterms are not liberals don't participate in them. That's how it just doesn't happen. It's just old conservatives that show up and vote out, you know, vote in the midterms. And this last midterm, the Republicans got smoked. And mm -hmm. it's because you're not paying attention to, you know, what's going on here right now. And Donald Trump is, for me, Donald Trump is the best thing that ever happened to a progressive agenda. I believe he's building a coalition against him by the nutty things that he says. That he's pushing people out of apathy. Right, right, right. I think that some of the things that took place in Chicago uh did that for some you right. know even uh in the chicago teachers union with that example of when he changed the strike threshold he f was confident that we would not be able to get 75 that, yeah. that we would not be able to get 75 percent right. of our membership to uh authorize a strike right but he did so many underhanded things and he was so arrogant with his behavior right. that people that may not have cared came out and voted. And I think we hit maybe 90%. Right, right. See, no, I, I, it's not a, for me, it's not a hatred towards the man Donald Trump. I don't hate him. And I could not be, I, I voted for Hillary Clinton, but I'll tell you what, I was the least bit upset about a candidate I voted for losing when she lost. She yeah, just was not my I candidate. wasn't excited. I no, wasn't excited. Right, about right. No, I don't think anybody was, you know, truly excited about her except for the completely delusional who were maybe faking excitement. I, I don't know what to be excited about, about that situation. There was just nothing. You know, there was a, literally a person that was saying, well, hold your horses. We can't, you know, try and get equality. We can't try and get, you know, Bernie Sanders says $15 minimum wage will make someone make $30,000 a year on 40 hours a week. Then they can pay the rent. She said, well, what about 12? I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> how excited am I going to be? Like, listen, you know, someone should be saying $18 and then we'll settle for 15 mm -hmm. and then things will work out. Um, they've had success 
in New York and stuff like that with the minimum wage going up as far as it didn't destroy the fast food industry. It didn't destroy restaurants. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's worked out well. As and far it, as that and goes. it's still not enough, but oh, it's no, a start. No, right. It's a start. It's a start. Right. And I mean, you know, I agree. And I, like, you know, those jobs, the, the, the jobs that take no um, training at all, that that's fine. Like I, I understand they're not supposed to make. You're not going to get wealthy right. on those things, but you're you know you're also not going to get wealthy um, on any welfare system. Like I broke my neck, and everything was laid out for me. I pretty much qualified for everything you could think of. I qualified for food stamps that I've never been on. I qualified for cash assistance. I qualified for, you know, um, they'd pay my rent. They all all I got to do is be going to school, and they'll pay my rent and all this other stuff. I sat down and I added it all up. I'm like, hey, you know, I wouldn't mind getting a better education and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. I do have three kids, so I got to figure out what's what. Can I sustain my life on what they're offering? No, no, I can't. I can't. Ne I can never do this, and I can never do this in a way that's like fruitful for my kids. I can never do this in a way that's like, okay, I'm going to take you on a vacation. No, there's no, no money for any of that. It wouldn't allow you to live the lifestyle that you. No, right. Got so my to. my deal was go get my real estate license get to work selling houses, make some money, and then do what I can for my kids. So I focused more of my time on my actual kids, mm -hmm. put it on them as to this. You can do this without any money. We can we can read the right books. We can, we can do all these things without money. So, you know, you're, you're going to get this done. But, you know, instead of me trying to make as much money as I, as I possibly could out in the construction world. So, but, you know, back to... The, the education system and stuff like that. So you see, what would you say the demographics are uh, where you teach? Uh, probably 99% African-American. Really? Yeah. That much? Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, I'm on, um, let's say, the Garfield Park area on the west side of Chicago. You know, kind of grew up in the vicinity of the school okay. that, I, that I currently work at. Okay. So 99%. Right. So now how is, like, you know, to switch the topic to... Um, I got a lot of, I grew up in a gun culture. Um, I grew up in a gun culture that was hunting and, uh, sportsmen, you know, hunting, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. My grandmother was a Marine. My father was a Marine. My grandfather's 101st airborne. So we had, it was, it was no great shock for me to see guns in the house, to see handguns in the house. You know, my, my grandfather took a nine millimeter automatic pistol off of a Nazi in, in the war, and I saw that gun from when I was a little kid. It was promised to me that I was, you know, the oldest grandchild was going to get this gun. So guns were not a thing that I was ever afraid of. They were, I was taught well to use them and stuff like that. But there's a gun culture that's in, there's a gun culture that you're in, mm -hmm. in the city that's mm -hmm. completely different than the gun culture. And I've seen a little bit of it, but there's also this weird gun culture that's out in the country now where guys are, you know, the, these uh, AR-15s and things that look like they're designed just to kill people are really, 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 really something that they want. And I can't wrap my brain around it because the way I grew up was uh, like the Deer Hunter movie. It's one shot, one kill. Right. You know, if I was out pheasant hunting, first I'm out there to shoot something for me to eat. Like, I'm, I actually, I find it weird, but I actually, when I see ducks, I look at that like meat. Mm -hmm. I see that as meat. And, um... Pheasants, same way. Like I was looking forward to the white wine sauce and the wild <laughs> rice that I was going to make with that meal. Yeah. 
and everything else. So that was the gun culture I was in. When I see these guys with these guns and they're so happy just to shoot paper targets and stuff like that, I look at it like it's foreign to me. It's odd. I don't get it. It seems destructive. It mm-hmm. seems like um, also like I know a lot of these guys like they enjoy it and I want them to have that. But the problem is, is when that weapon gets in the wrong hands, you've got catastrophic problems because the guy in Dayton killed nine people in under 30. The cop was there in 30 yes. seconds. So Dayton, Ohio, nine people dead in 30 seconds because he had the right the equipment right type of, yeah. to do this job. Now, the gun culture that I saw, my dad worked at 72nd and Perry um, at a Dominic's there um, for years. And he would go into the bathroom and he said, once a week, there's a 22 sitting on the toilet paper holder. Because the guy comes in there, takes the 22 out of the small of his back, puts it up there, drops his drawers, and takes mm-hmm. a crap. Then he forgets that he put the gun up there. But he goes, you know, so everybody's walking around armed in the city right. as far as that goes. Um, in your, which which flies in the face of the, if everybody's armed, then we're going to be safer because that's not how it works. They're armed because we're not safer mm-hmm. sort of a situation. And... Chicago, you're not allowed to have any of that stuff to begin with, but they've all got it. Yeah. So I mean, you know, what are your how how are the how is the school set up? Where you're teaching the metal detectors and stuff like that? Uh, at the high school I worked at, there were metal detectors, but at the grammar school there are no metal detectors. Right, because kid, little guys, not no, as much trouble. Not as much. No. How is it? Uh, do they lock it down as far as like? Uh, do we have like those safety lockdowns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All oh, that. Yes, because right. they have that the hard and soft lockdowns. Uh, some of them are drills, mandatory drills that you have to do. And then sometimes you might go into lockdown mode based on something that took place in the community and you may have to go on lockdown. There might be a suspect in the vicinity, might not even be near the school, but you still may get the call that the school needs to go on to soft lockdown. Soft lockdown is you just keep, you just close your door. You just lock your door and you keep teaching your class. Okay. The hard lockdown is you have to get against the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Keep quiet and shut the lights situation. off. Active shooter type situation. Right. So that's that's relatively new. And, you know, it's it's disturbing that you have to do that, but that's the world we're living in right now. Right. So, like, it's a different world from when I was in high school. When I was in high school, you could, if you were late for school, you could just walk up and get right in the school. They didn't buzz you in. or mm-hmm. Nowadays... Like, you can't get into that school no. unless you've got access to the school sort of situation. And, I mean, I, in the interim, that all seems fine to me. I don't like it, especially in the city, because of the theory of, like, the school to, the school to prison pipeline mm-hmm. sort of situation where you're raised in a school that seems like a prison, and then, you know, you're pretty much going to go to prison at some point anyway. Well, so. you know, I... I I don't particularly uh, care for that term, that okay. school-to-prison pipeline. People use it a lot, and I do think that there should be a partnership between the school and the home. But I would say that you know you have a home-to-prison pipeline that, as far as the outcome of your child, is directly related to what you do with your child, the right. values that you instill in your child. There's, there's so much... Uh, pressure placed on schools to do so many different things that in reality the home should do right you know and and back to that violence thing in the 23 years that i've been working i have lost a lot of students some during the school year and some after they became adults either victims of crime 
perpetrators of crime. And you, you know, you always have your success stories. We got a lot. Of, I got a lot of former students that are doing really, really well. But you, when you're growing up in uh, or working, I should say, in the city of Chicago, these things are happening, and it's and it's becoming more and more frequent. And the victims are becoming younger and younger, and it's it's really a problem. So you have so many kids that you're teaching that are dealing with trauma, and you don't have necessarily the resources to deal with that trauma in order to educate them effectively. Because uh, one of the things that uh, they're talking about in the new potentially new contract that we're trying to negotiate is where are the social workers? You need more social workers. You need more nurses. You need more of what they call wraparound services to help a lot of these kids that are going through a lot of things. Right, right, right. Now, so there's a culture that I was trying to explain to my boys. And like I said, I don't know what goes on in the in the inner city, and you can maybe shed some light on it. Like, my sons say stuff like, I'm like, so, hey, what's up with that guy? And stuff like that. He's, oh, he's a dumb, dumb. You don't, you know, he's bad in school and all sorts of stuff. And I go, you guys understand that, that that culture that you're in that that's like that, that's good. You should look at someone. I go, I want my daughter to evaluate a guy she might date by how dumb is he, how hard does he work, and mm-hmm. stuff like that because this is who you're going to be tied to if you're going right. to be tied to this person. But I go, you know, in the African community, the African-American community, and in some of the inner city schools, the smart kid is a kid that gets beat. He's the, he's the problem because he's making you look dumb. He might get out of here, and you don't want that. So the teacher's pet is the guy that's picked on where, you know, in their school, it's the it's the dumb-dumb. Unfortunately, uh, depending on where you are, that can be a part of the culture. But it can also be a culture in, in, in um, the attitude in other groups uh, where the smart kid is not considered cool but there is a big problem with that i would say from my experience and and working uh in the city of chicago that's one of the reasons that i ended up putting my son in wrestling because yeah, i figured right. that if i'm grooming him to be very strong academically right and that, that's, that you unfortunately know, he might have to yeah but clarify that too yeah you didn't just put your son in wrestling you drove your son from the city out to the sticks to put him in wrestling by us yes where we're we are probably, I mean, the demographic's got to be over 95%. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amir, uh, a couple other boys were the only boys of color that mm-hmm. were there, besides the, the Muslim kids and stuff like right. that. Now, I, I've never asked you, your son's name's Amir, you're, you're Kwame. Yeah. What religion? Okay, um, well, initially. Not that it matters to no, me. No, okay. right. Initially, growing up, we there was really no religion okay. in our household. The reason I was named Kwame was because uh, in the 1960s, you had what was called uh, the Black Arts Movement. A lot of black people were uh, embracing their culture, their, their, the names that we had lost, say, during slavery sure. and things like that, uh, the hairstyles and poetry and art and all of that. So in 1972, when I was born, the uh, first president of Ghana, independent Ghana, was Kwame Nkrumah. And okay. he died in 1972, the year I was born. So my father named me after right. Kwame Nkrumah. And Amir was named after a black poet from the, uh, partially named after a black poet from that era, Amiri Baraka. So instead of Amiri, he just was Amir, yeah. okay. which okay. is an Arabic name. Sure, 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 yeah. sure, sure. But it was, it, we named him that because of So Amir they're not Baraka. religious based at all. They're more culturally not based. Not at all. Right. More right. culturally based. Okay. But uh, growing up, I attended an Afrocentric preschool from, say, maybe about 
1978. And that was a part of the black arts movement too, independent black schools. So it was called the Shule Yawatoto, which is Swahili for uh, school for children. Okay. So I attended uh, that school. Right. And then in the 80s, my parents divorced in 1979. And in the 80s, my mother was briefly a member of the Nation of Islam. Okay. So, you know, I would have to go to uh, 79th and Halstead to the Final Call building. My brother and I, we would have to listen to like three-hour lectures. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I never, the, the religious aspect of it never really appealed to sure, me. You sure, know, it was sure, just, sure. it was interesting. And I liked some of the politics, but not all of the politics. But that was very brief, maybe about five years my yeah. mother may have been uh, good to be exposed to it. I mean, yeah. I had I had not similar, but like sort of religious wise. My father grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. altar boy, all that other stuff, and we went to catechism. We went to you know the uh, communion and all that other stuff that you'd be as a Catholic kid. And then my mother became a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. So I was when uh, you know I was twelve, thirteen years old, pretty much going to the Kingdom Hall and listening to, and there was a lot of good scripture mm-hmm. it's always for me it's always the dogma that, yeah. that, that 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 busts me out of it it's always like you know you took this thing that had a lot of good philosophy and you turned it into a cult because now you got to follow these other rules that just the, the church has made up made up yeah right so and they don't think they made them up and i don't want you know anyone who's Jehovah's witness to be upset i have nothing against anyone's religion mm-hmm. um i'm agnostic i am not you know um cocky enough or you know like you know I don't know what to say to say that there is no God or creator. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe in one until, you know, something is out there that would, that would, you know, show me something that, 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 that says that there is. And I, I hope you'd be open-minded about it. But, uh, but anyway, so I was exposed to that and they're, I would say they're extreme. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As far as that goes. I mean, my mom won't vote. She won't have anything to do with any holidays, all that other stuff. And it's definitely, uh, foreign to the family, as far as like, there's no Christmas, there's no you know, right. none of that stuff. Well, my what my parents being from the South, they grew up in the Baptist church, right? But maybe I remember having a Christmas tree one time. After that, it was pretty much uh, Kwanzaa in our household, which was a cultural celebration, yeah, non-religious right. Right. cultural celebration. And uh, you know, my father, you know, he st- my father and mother, they stay with me now, so we still actually. Do the uh, Kwanzaa celebration in our house. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I, I see a uh, more of a need for an African-American family to try and reclaim that culture because you didn't give it up. Mm-hmm. No. It was forcefully taken away. Yeah. So that would lead me to the, the other thing that's been in the news and that we talked a little bit about it before we got on the podcast is, you know, the, the Democrats are, I swear to God, why does this this stuff comes up during an election drives me nuts because it seems third railish, but the reparations thing. Okay, it seems like a thing that you know uh, the population of the country is eleven percent African American. Right. So I know that they want to pander to those people, but if you were actually interested in action being done, and I am, I'd like to see something done because you know the more I look into the big picture of the way that wealth was distributed mm-hmm. and the way that wealth was obtained by the hands of African-Americans that were slaves. There's all kinds of wealthy people and wealthy organizations that started out as plantations and they built their wealth off of that slave labor. Absolutely correct. Right. So there's a difference to me 
between feeling that reparations are warranted, which I feel that they are, and me believing that the Democrats are sincere right. in their discussions right. of it. I do if not, you are sincere in I your discussion, not, right. you would I do, do not it when think, you're already elected. I do not think that they're sincere right. at all. I also think that a lot of people have a misunderstanding about reparations in the sense that it's something that's new that black people have advocated for. And it's not something new. It's something that black people have advocated for since uh, slavery ended. So you have some people that argue against it and say, well, black people today have no connection to those people that were actually slaves. But when black people that literally came out of slavery were advocating for that, they were actually persecuted and in some cases jailed for advocating for those reparations. So there is a connection. So you can't just negate it just based on the fact that the people today aren't directly connected. Also, people misunderstand and think that when people advocate for reparations, at least the previous activists that I'm aware of, that they're saying, oh, each individual African-American is going to receive some type of reparations check. And that is also not what it's about, or that right. you, for example, you need to pay right. me right. reparations. The me, the me thing is the. That's thing, not what they're saying, right? The me thing is the thing that they the. So I've always been the a person that prescribes to the theory that, you know, we divide ourselves by race and religion and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff because the actual battle that's going on is among the very very wealthy and then the working people, and True. the very wealthy have this design that we're going to work, pay all the taxes, pay for all the roads. They're just there to take advantage of all these systems. People don't put in the perspective that, like, um, I look at a company like Amazon and say, you hire all these people, you're obligated to pay more in taxes than the guy working for you. Mm -hmm. Your rate should be astronomically higher. And the reason your rate should be higher is you are taking benefit in the fact that your entire workforce can read, write, and do arithmetic because of public schools Mm -hmm. that you're not paying anything into. So your entire workforce is educated due to tax dollars that your workforce pays 99% of because you pay no taxes. So you're, and then like extrapolate that out to the roads. Now listen, I'm fine with, I gotta pay taxes so I can drive on good roads. But Jeff Bezos should pay way more taxes because he's got way more trucks on those on roads. Road. And they're doing way more damage to the roads That's than right. I could ever do. So, And it also is imperative that those roads are in good shape so he can make the profits that he makes because he needs to get his materials from one place to another. If the roads are shot for me, yeah, I'll have to find another road to go or whatever like that. But his whole operation slows down when we don't have super highways to get things to places. Mm-hmm. So... There's a there's a there's a certain obligation that those people should have to pay more into a system that's working out so splendidly for them that they're not. And when, mm. you know when you got a company that is bringing in eleven billion dollars and pays zero federal taxes, we've got a serious problem in the balance mm. of how this is going on in this country. But if you're one of those wealthy people, what you need to do is keep people like me and you apart, because if we all get together. That's we outnumber that right. We outnumber them yeah. e- immensely. So the the thing is, is they sell a lot of poor white people on. Yeah, we see that you're poor and you're white, but at least you're not black. And this guy and is that's the been done for a very long time. Right. And one of the things that I think that some people miss, say, when I have discussions with other African Americans, I do a lot of like you said on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You miss the classism. 
you focus on racism and racism is real and it's there but it's not the only thing you also have classism where you have people that are in the same demographic you're just not the same race and you're arguing with each other when you actually have more in oh, common way more in as common. far as your interests right that you need to focus on what are your interests uh kind of back to the chicago teachers union we don't all have to like each other. It's not. A, I'm sure there are racists in the Chicago Teachers Union, and sure. there, are, of course, there are. There are people of all different races, but we have to get together in order to uh, make our union effective against the people that are trying to uh, minimize what they pay us and how they uh, allocate benefits towards us. Right. So, just briefly back to uh, reparations. Yeah. From from my understanding of reparations. Uh, from the people that I knew that were involved in it decades ago, they were looking into uh, the the books, if you will, of these different right. companies and their uh, legacy, their their connection to economic connection to slavery and how they benefited financially. And those are the entities that they would go after for reparations. They're sure. not asking Joe Blow. You know, around the corner, like, oh, no, you no, know, no. the janitor cut, at the school cut, cut me a check. Right, that's right. not that's no, not no. how. No, but what was the college? There's a college that I just saw in the news, Georgetown or something like that, mm -hmm. that was built. The the, the actual physical buildings mm -hmm. were built with slave labor, um, and a lot of the 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 wealth that was built into that school mm -hmm. was derived from slave labor. And they were saying that they were going to go back through the books. Mm -hmm. And try and figure out who they owe, and right. they would pay them with education. Right. They would say, "Listen, right. here's your and there education." Would be nothing, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't either. We we sometimes have such a sanitized version of American history. So when we when tip, typically people have these types of conversations, you have a lot of people saying things like, "Well, that's why the Civil War was fought," and as if when slavery ended in 1865, it was like a magic wand, and right. all of these right. wrongs were. Uh, set right if that were the case you wouldn't need a civil rights movement a hundred years later no. and if i'm born in 1972 you wouldn't need a voting rights act passed in 1965 that's seven years before i'm born sure so if if these things were corrected then you wouldn't have as many of these issues that we have to deal with today and what i what i also don't care for is when people try to frame those past wrongs in a very uh, rigidly partisan way. Well, the Democrats formed the Klan and the, the Democrats did. This is like, listen. That one drives me nuts. Th listen, these things were not able to fester for 100 years without both parties playing their role in right. what took place. Besides the it fact doesn't, that... That's not how it went. Right, besides the fact that we had this weird thing that happened in, in our history where some of the parties flip-flopped and we went from the the Republican Party was the Progressive Party at one time, mm -hmm. which if you're paying attention and you want to know history, not you want you want to be right in this stupid Facebook, the Facebook debate thing. I, I'm out of it. I I don't even mess with it anymore just because it's a it's a terrible format. But if you if you want to understand history, not just be right in a debate, then you need to understand that the Republicans were at one time the Progressives and Democrats were the Southern. The conservative party, okay. So if we just take, you know, stop the the party thing, like I said in the beginning, anybody who thinks that there's a political party out there that is looking out for your best interest as a middle class American, you're a fool. They're not. 
They're looking for their corporate owner's best interest, and that's it. And if if making you fight is part of their corporate best interest, then, then they're going to make you fight. Yeah. So the the, the you know the, the the situation that I have is you have to look at progressive and conservative things, and I don't. It's almost like somebody devised it to take. There, there's certain things in conservatism, like uh, a base of conservatism, where you say, listen, we can't live beyond our means. We can't spend money we don't have. But that's all fine and logical, right? How the conservatives seem to have melded with the business uh, situation where part of conservatism is giving huge tax breaks to wealthy, wealthy people. And they've also grabbed a hold of the Christian vote also boggles my mind because I've read the Bible at lay. I've, I've done a four-year class where I studied scripture. And if you studied that book, they don't go together. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know, a wealthy man walked up to Jesus and he said, Lord, Lord, I've heard your preachings. I've heard your teachings. They're wonderful. What do I have to do to follow you? And he goes, it's simple, son. Just take everything you own get rid of it and follow me right he's like well i can't you can't do that I can't do that like that's the one thing you know in in the story jesus knew that's the one thing he couldn't do that's why he said it to him because this is the thing you got to do mm-hmm. so when when they take the christian right and and then you take this economic and there's also the you know uh it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy man to make it to the kingdom of heaven if you just that's a that's a I that, it took me three seconds to say that and you can't understand that this wealthy guy's got less chance of being in the kingdom of heaven that so how do these two things go together I don't understand if you look at uh, the teachings of you know that philosophy of Jesus he fed the poor he took in the he took in refugees and these mm-hmm. people hate refugees it, I, my head spins when I I'm trying to like wrap my brain around and then. Even as a guy who's, you know, a white guy from the suburbs, I start to think there's a racial aspect to this. There has to be because I can't put my finger on how any of this other stuff goes together. The economy went to shit under George W. Bush. It started to, the trajectory was going up with Barack Obama. It's on the exact same trajectory now, but there is a big portion of the population that believes the day that Donald Trump took office, somehow that trajectory changed. It didn't. It's done the same thing. If you look at the first two and a half years of Barack Obama's presidency and the first two and a half years, that's all you got for Donald Trump, and you look at the stock market, the percentage of stock market went up with Barack Obama was more than it was with Donald Trump. People will argue that. That's not an arguable. You just need to look at the facts. This is this. These are the numbers. It went up this percentage. Those are the numbers that went up that percentage. It's it's not a debatable thing. This mm-hmm. is a, was it hot on Saturday? Yes, it yes. was. That's it. So some of that stuff all boggles my mind. I don't want it to be racism. I'm positive that with a lot of the um, Trump supporters that, I, that are dear friends of mine, it's not. It's mm-hmm. not a racist thing. Right. It's a, maybe it's a news thing where they're getting their news from a certain angle that they're getting it from all the time and then you know the sound bites sound good so i'm going with that and then i think people get entrenched in what they believe and then it becomes a fight right i'm gonna fight with you about what i believe um i think it's in all of our best interest to get 
a conversation going on where people talk about things and we can get you know a, a better thing going on. As far as my view on the reparations, I would have been 100% fine with when slavery ended, the 40 acres and a mule thing happening. Now it happened, right? But then they right going to send it because that's right. Yeah, they well, took they, it back. Booth shot Lincoln, and then the next president was like, oh, no, 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 we're not doing any of that. Right. And the people who did obtain land, like there was just like I was talking to you about a uh, op-ed in the uh, Post about the way that the wealth was. When they talk about reparations, they talk about looking at the books and saying, okay, if Johnson & Johnson, the company, started out as a plantation in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and you got all your wealth to start this thing with that, then Johnson and Johnson owes because the the scales were tilted that you took the wealth from those people. Right. Get it back. And it could be paid in the form of economic development, job right. training, right. Right. Uh, education. It's not checks like, oh, here's your reparations right. Right. check. And that, that, that's not even a, that, that would be that would be the easy way out. The reparations, because right. honestly, if you're the owner of Walmart and you're like, all right, all right, all right so what do I got to do? I got to write. Uh, 50 billion out that's one year's you know that we made uh, 50 billion out in uh in in or you know uh that's one of the four kids's net worth out in reparations 50 billion dollars that's paying a lot to 11 yeah. percent of the population and then we're done i'm telling you if you just cut people checks 10 years from now walmart will have all that damn money back, have it back. and i mean my and it may be a little bit racist or my joke was if you went to the poorest people in the country white black whatever color they are, and you took the wealthiest people's wealth and you gave it to the poorest people, you would see nothing but big screen TVs, trailer parks, spinny rims, mm-hmm. d- just the dumbest shit in the world bought, and then that, that wealth would be gone. It would go right back up to the top as fast as they got it. Right. So you need to do things like you said, education. Education is the, whether it's a trade, trade yes. or or a book education, that you know an engineering degree, Whatever it is, that is the that that used to be the great equalizer, right? If you mm-hmm. were a middle to lower class person coming up, you could get your kids to go through college and they could raise their standard. Now, a cost of education has become prohibitive. So it's to, so far out of reach. Yep, for right, so many. Right, right, right. It's almost impossible to get that done. Um, so I don't know. You know, my my stance on reparations is something should be looked at if you're. If your massive wealth that you built was built on slavery, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Now, my other problem that seems to go away over time, but it's for me it's taken too long. I was at a Christmas party a couple of years back, a bunch of years back, and it's all white. And th- there's people there, and they st- they're drinking, but the N-word starts coming out. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. And I'm sitting there, and I was like, huh, <laughs> all right. And then a guy looked over at me, and I saw the wide-eyed, and I was like, he's like, you got a problem? And I'm like, yeah, I got a problem. How are we talking like this? What, 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 what's this conversation about? Like, yeah. What are we doing? And he's like, well, you know, there's no black people here. And I'm like, That's what does not that the matter? Point. And I go, I'm embarrassed not because I think some black guy is going to be offended. I'm embarrassed because that's an embarrassing time in white history and you're bringing it up? Like, what are you bringing it up for? You should be ashamed of that situation if you brought it up in a situation where you actually looked at what... Then that's that leads me back to the Facebook debates. The problem with Facebook debates is the baseline of facts. I've had people say to me, slavery wasn't that bad. 
there were all kinds of people that wish it came back. Well, that was part of the uh, argument of the South, that slavery was uh, a civilizing force for black people, that we are uh, helping black people. We're not hurting black people. They're ignorant, heathen, savages in Africa, and we are allowing them to come here and become Christians, and we are civilizing them. And then when slavery ended, the argument changed. Without the civilizing influence of white men under slavery, black people reverted back to savagery. And now this is why we have to lynch them. So the good old South, you know, uh, with loyal blacks, and that was something that was promoted in films, you know, Shirley Temple films and uh, black men dancing and smiling and singing on the plantation, the mammy and all of that type of stuff. Right. So some people actually bought into that. They totally bought it. And I think it's convenient... I think that there's a certain amount of mental gymnastics that goes on with people that want to believe a certain thing. So mm-hmm. when they hear that sound bite, they're like, yeah. And like there was one that was, they were telling me that, you know, the, the, there were all kinds of black people that wished they could just go back to the way it was. I'm like, no, I, I don't no, think that No, no. You had, if you look at uh, slave narratives, you will hear black people talk about, you know, you always have a variety of masters. Some were better than others. Right. Some were harsher than others. And when slavery ended, there was no uh, there was not much given to people that were in slavery. So they were destitute. So if it came down to oh living here and starving or going back to the plantation, potentially and having a meal right. and a place to stay, even right. though it was terrible, you might hear someone speak that way. Right. But, but you it doesn't mean starving. that slavery was like, right. oh, man, I you weren't starving because no. you didn't want to work. You're starving because no. you were no opportunity. You to had work. no opportunity. Right. right, they, right. So the, I mean, the situation was just restructured. Slavery was just changed into uh, sharecropping. And then you had uh, vagrancy laws that allowed pe- black men in particular to be locked up and put on chain gangs and or well, other situations in the Constitution where yeah. they made they out they outlawed slavery, but they didn't outlaw if you were put in prison. Right. And now the private prison system, there's a lot of slavery that's going on there where guys are making a dollar a day. And, oh, yeah, the prison for profit system where they're making, that's the new slavery. And where that's you, not a, there. you don't have to be black for that. You no. can be any color just in the prison and you're working for free. And, you know, and, I mean, there's other countries that we can look at that you can say rehabilitation is possible but not in the way we do it. You really don't hear that word anymore. You know, I, when I was growing up, I heard about prison and you go to prison to be rehabilitated. I don't really remember the last time I heard that term used to describe going to prison. Because that's a verb. You need to actively be rehabilitated. Where you're just locked up in a penitentiary, that, that you're just stuck in a freaking place. It, it, to me, it's another one of those big picture things. If you look at that situation, you say, okay, we took this guy who did this white, black, Mexican, whatever you took him, and you you caught him doing something wrong, and what do you do? You put him in with a whole mess of other people that did stuff wrong so they can hatch new ideas on how to do stuff wrong. They can compare notes mm-hmm. and become better criminals. So it's not a situation where there are other countries who have the drug issue. I mean, they have rehabilitated you know, people off of drugs instead of criminalizing it. Well, see, so many things are are criminalized. And when I was mentioning to you that I began to pay more attention to uh, state and national politics, say in the last ten years or so, uh, under Rahm Emanuel, there was the they shut down a lot of mental health facilities uh, in the city of Chicago. 
Then I read an article at one point that said that the Cook County Jail, by default, had become like one of the largest mental institutions in the state of Illinois. And it kind of directly affected me because I had a close friend who was having some mental health issues. And instead of receiving treatment, he was placed in uh, Cook County Jail. And he ended up deceased. Right, 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 right. right, He he got into an altercation with another mental patient. And, you know, he was murdered in the jail. Well, right, right, right. Well, so, so then you see those policies. That's a and lot you see of the, the death by of cop situations that happen, yes. too. The guy's not mentally stable, but the cop doesn't understand that. I don't blame the cop for that situation. Right. This guy's acting erratic. He's been told a million times that, the, you know, the, these people here down here are going to mm-hmm. kill you. So he shoots the guy because the guy's acting. He's not following what the guy wants him to do. It's a mental health problem that's going on. It's an epidemic that's going on. And I've been noticing that a lot more, uh, even in, you know, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I've been noticing, when I was at a high school, uh, I think this is like eight or nine years ago, I started to notice uh, mental health, what I uh, at least perceive to be mental health issues among a lot of the students. And I guess the, the, the school administration or the CPS in general, they recognize those things too because they start to offer us training on how to maybe uh, deal more productively with people that might be having these types of challenges, even in the context of when they may have to be arrested, that maybe we can have a conversation with the police office before they're taken away that, okay, these are the issues that this child is having, so you're informed, and that can inform how you uh, deal with that. Well, we do a terrible job in this country on the whole for people that have mental issues to begin mm-hmm. with. And I was I read some things that said like somewhere in the 80s when we became the me generation about greed and everything else that we started to close a lot of these facilities down. Mm-hmm. We emptied out a lot of the mental facilities and now there's a lot more schizophrenic people walking around on the street mm-hmm. which to me uh, you know bleeds into everything, right? Like I mean, I I get upset when I see, you know, the guy that's a schizophrenic that got the gun and went into the school and shot the kid like you know, there there should be no reason why a guy that's schizophrenic can qualify to get a firearm because mm-hmm. he's schizophrenic. He actually hears voices that tell him what to do, and you know they're made up; they're not real. Um, so yeah, there there seems like again, I think we're living in a corp the corporation of America where every year our corporate owners look at the bottom line and they say, what can we cut? Mm-hmm. So we can keep making the profits and make a little more profit every mm-hmm. year. Even though these corporations, they're making so much money you could never spend it in, in, in five lifetimes. Um, I just saw an article that said that the wealthiest family, I believe it's the Waltons, the people who own Walmart, yeah. make $4 million an hour. Yes. And to me, like if you made $4 million in your life, you could retire and be done. You don't have to do a thing now. They make it hourly. And we're not, nobody's upset about this. This is not something that, and I mean, resources, no matter how you want to divide them up or how you want to look at them, they're finite. There's only so much wealth. There's only so much treasure on the planet. So every year, the the country needs to, the, the corporation that is America looks at it and says, well, you know, these free lunches that are going on in the Mm -hmm. schools, that's something we could cut out. But they don't look at big oil and say, well, you're getting billions of dollars in subsidies, which is handouts to those companies, and say, well, we should, we could pull that back 
and feed these kids. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a short-sighted situation as far as that goes. And then the Democrats are no good either. They just look to tax whatever that you can like. You know the um, I'm not a smoker, but marijuana is now legal. Right. So um, and I have a couple people who are. And I've talked to them. They're upset about this. Like, and I've said, all right, let's, you know, I want to have about that, the legalization. About the of legalization of it. And one, one of my buddies, man, I, I get upset just thinking about it. Lost his son to the opioid epidemic, epidemic, mm-hmm. and he started out with pot, right? Mm-hmm. So his feeling is is that that marijuana is a gateway drug. Now mm-hmm. I don't prescribe to that. I believe that there's certain people that were going to do heroin at one, whether marijuana exists or mm-hmm. not, they're going to go there. But and there's certain people that would smoke marijuana and never move on from that ever. They would just do that sort right. of thing. How does that affect? Uh, I also heard that they're going to expunge a bunch of records. Well, see that that is the thing that I was looking at. Right. That's when you great. have these nonviolent offenders yep. who are serving lengthy prison terms for marijuana. Right. Well, those things lead on to. So one guy gets arrested for a couple of joints in his pocket. And he ends up in prison. Then he does something wrong in there, and then he ends up in more trouble. Then he meets this guy, and they're like, "Hey, man, you know, you're five years of your life been jacked up. When we get out of here, we could knock this guy uh-huh. off and get this." Then he ends up in there for twenty. Now he's got a life sentence because originally he got caught with a couple joints in his pocket. Yeah. So, so I had an issue with that, and you know, when, it also reminds me of the Clinton administration and some of the uh, criminal uh, the policies that they put in place that led to some uh, lengthy prison terms. Right. For uh, a lot of a lot of black people. And, you know, that he was a Democratic president, but a lot and of, beloved, he was very by, popular. Right. Right. In right. the African-American community. Right. But I don't really think that they were looking that we were looking at. And I know I wasn't really paying attention at that age because of you know where I was at the time. But looking at his policies. And now I think more people are looking back and saying, well, wait a minute. Look at these. These policies were very destructive. Uh, for the African American oh, community, and yeah. those things right. need to be revisited. Sure, sure, sure. And, and you know, every generation is going to look back and be like, "Oh, we really screwed that up." I, you know, am curious to see what the our kids' generation is going to look like fifty years mm-hmm. after that generation gets to. Be, they're going to look back at those people and go, I "Can't believe you! You said this and you did this right. and everything else." Now, I don't the uh, there's a word that's been co opted, and it bothers me. Because there's people out there that are social justice warriors that are fucking heroes for doing the things that they did. And the Rosa Parks, the, right. the people who did the, those are social justice heroes. They've they've co-opted that term and put it onto these people that like are, are uh, mad about uh, cultural appropriation and bathrooms and gender identified. Like, they, they, don't take that word. Mm-hmm. To me, that's upsetting because, like I said, I'm a big picture person, it, and I think it should be upsetting to someone who, if you were a big time Alabama fan, right, mm-hmm. and you loved Alabama and you loved that Confederate flag, and you're, you know, your thoughts are, I'm a rebel, and that's why I got this flag. And then you looked over and you saw the KKK guy flying that flag. If you, if that was a beloved thing to you, and you're not with them, you should go over there and beat that guy down. You can't have that thing that I like. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, that's like when uh, Donald Trump's waving a, you know, some Bible bullshit around. If you're a Christian, you'd be like, hey, you can't have that. Right. Like, that's mine. 
that's beloved to me. You and you don't, and your behavior yeah, you don't does not get represent that. Right, that. right, right, right. It so does not represent this that. This flag, the Confederate flag, to me, the Confederate flag, all that is, is a reminder to you of where you could be. That To me, that's what it is. And now, to someone else, those, it might not those, be that. Those, those symbols, you know, it was a controversy fairly recently, last couple of years or so, about the monuments and things like that. Many of those monuments were put in place. Okay to represent to black people that were trying to vote right. that you will not vote put and in there strategic will be places. put in strategic places right. Right. government buildings and places like that to say we are still in charge right. you will not vote you know up until like uh say before the voting rights act was passed the last one in 1965 maybe about five percent of the black population in mississippi was registered to vote right about five percent right. right those five confederate, then, those five, confederate let's do that math five percent of the black population yes, in mississippi and right now the african-american people are one of the best voting blocks they are the they do their civic duty uh, on I, I believe i haven't seen the numbers but i believe that the percentage of black people that vote is higher than the percentage of white people that vote mm-hmm. percentage the numbers are less but as a that's a parenting issue. Mm-hmm. That's an issue where I've already told my sons you're voting. Right. You, you, you just turned eighteen. We're getting you registered, and you're going to vote. Right. And you decide gonna, who you vote for. Yeah. You're going to sit. Oh, I'm, I have no right. Nothing to do with that. But you're going to actually research who's doing what, what what you think is right, and you're going to go vote. It's your civic. You need to duty. engage. It's not a. It's not an option. This is a right. thing that you need to go do. You know, like you're supposed to, and obviously. Black parents have done a better job of that than white parents have because the percentages are, I mean, maybe it's some of it's the, the fact that they've been oppressed too. Mm-hmm. And the harder you hold somebody down, the harder they come back right. after it. So that that's all fine. Um, but, you know, back to the, the, the monuments and all the other stuff, people don't want to understand what you're saying. They don't want that to be the case. And I don't don't see those statues in melt emotionally. That's not what I'm saying. But they don't belong in government buildings. That's not where they belong. No, I feel like if I was a... Right. If I was an African-American trying to go into a courthouse to seek justice, whether I'm the victim or the, the perpetrator of a crime, and I'm trying to get a fair shake... In this situation, mm-hmm. and I got to walk past the Robert E. Lee statue. Yeah. I already know I'm not getting a fair right. shake. It's and, not going to work out. And Confederates formed the Klan, and for a long period of time, the Klan was the law. The yeah, Klan sure, was. Sure. They were the politicians. They were the, uh, the police department. So, right. if you have this in a courthouse near a courthouse, what does that represent? Right. To right. black people that know that. Right. Well. And, and we should move and we should definitely move. We should move past that. Right. And, and, and the way to move past that is to get rid of that. To crap, get rid of it. That, that crap to begin with. And so, OK, again, if everyone could just be big picture people, draw yourself back and go, OK, what's the ideal solution or resolution or end game to this situation? What do I really want out of this? Because, you know, if you're someone who just wants all the Mexicans and black people to go away. That's unrealistic. That's, not That's unrealistic. You don't get to say that. This country was formed on on people who came from other places. At one time, your people came from another place. Mm-hmm. You know, the the white guy. But if your if your if your objective is, hey, could everybody just be a contributing force in society? Then 
it's in your best interest, if that's your thought, to get rid of those monuments. Because if you're a African-American and you're saying, hey, I'm going to be a contributing part to this society and my tax dollars go to maintaining and erecting these yes. forms of oppression, why would I be a contributing factor to any of this? Why would I not take advantage of the situation? Because this is a system that's not set up for me sort of mm -hmm. thing. So I look at it like it's beneficial to everybody to get rid of that crap. You're a history teacher. How much history did you learn in your life from a statue? No, no. me neither. No, I mean, I've read the plaque or right. whatever like that. But, I mean, history that I really wanted to learn, I got a full bookshelf in there of stuff that I've read on, you know, Andrew Jackson, George yeah. Washington, Abraham Lincoln, all that stuff. That's the other one that drives me absolutely up the wall. I like Lincoln. I like a lot of the things he had to say. He was probably still a racist because of the time that he was uh, alive. In, but he was, yes, in the Republican Party, but the Republican Party was the progressive party at the time. If Lincoln was around today and modified to be in today's, he'd be Bernie Sanders. He'd be the radical left. So, and see, there's a difference between uh, recognizing Abraham Lincoln as an important president of the United States, an effective president of the United States, and people that try to make him the savior of black people. Right. That is something that does not, it's just not true. No, it's right. And then That's there were so many, so many black people, black activists that worked on behalf of our people to, to get us to the point of freedom, to push the political agenda to make emancipation something that became one of the war goals at a certain point. So it doesn't mean that you, uh, like, say, I dislike Lincoln. It's not a personal thing. It's just you look at the facts and you say, well, no, sure. this is not what he was about these are his words when you look right. at the primary sources and things like that and it, it goes same thing goes for a lot of the other presidents in united states history now you look uh, at their policies we're, we're about the same age i think you're a year younger than me um it seems to me and this seems funny to me that it was easier when things were simpler i remember being a kid and columbus was a good person <laughs> right and then yeah. somehow 10 or 15 years ago Columbus became a bad person. Right. And now everyone that's that's woke can't stand Columbus. We want to rename things Indigenous People's Day, which I'm totally fine with. We change things we do all the time. And we was, should keep doing that it. That was bubbling. If you were in the right uh, group, you would have heard what you heard later. Later. Sure. You sure. would have heard it earlier. Sure. Early, I, heard, right. I heard those things a lot earlier. Right. But, it wasn't you know, mainstream, though. It was not mainstream. Right. right. I have to teach about Christopher Columbus. I don't teach that he discovered America because he did not discover America. That's not right. But his landing in the and what became the Americas had a huge impact on world history. That is what I teach. It's not about whether I personally like him or not. It's sure. not about that. It's like, okay, what impact, good, bad, or otherwise, did his landing in what became known as the West Indies have on the world right was well, the same same goes for lincoln though right yeah like, same for lincoln. 40 years ago lincoln yeah. was a much rosier pitcher than he was and i i equate that to the same thing as um i love the movie tombstone mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite right. movies right me and too it's, it's right it's great to great to watch this uh western and like all the detail and and all that stuff is terrific to see um and then the problem that 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 happens is is i can't ever look at 
um, the shootout at the OK Corral, or um, what are some of the other ones? Okay, so like uh, they did a movie, uh, Brad Pitt did a movie with where he was Jesse James. It was mm-hmm. the the coward something or other mm-hmm. shoots Jesse James in the back. Was, yeah, right. And it was uh, Casey Affleck was Ford who shoots yeah. Jesse James, and it was slow, but it was terrific. It was all this like detail of what his aliases were, how he was, you know, what mm-hmm. handed he was, all this other stuff. And it was great. To me, it was, like, captivating. I loved all the detail and the fact that it was as true to history as it could possibly be. But it absolutely ruins ever me looking at some old Jesse James movie. Right. Because it's complete rubbish now because you've got the facts. So, like, for me, once I've got the facts and once I've got the details of how something is, it's impossible for me to turn back the clock and go, you know what? Christopher Columbus was great. He discovered America. Like, I can't say that anymore because I know that that's not the factual situation right. and the way it went down. And, um, that, and, and, and you know, so a lot of people know this now, but it's like he wasn't even trying to come to the Americas. That no, was, this no, was not yeah, his he destination. He was looking for a quick way so, to India. No. Right, like, right, okay. right, right, right. It's the guy who is driving his Buick and he hits the 13-point buck mm-hmm. on the road. He mounts it. Yeah. Like, he, he didn't. You weren't hunting, dude. You just ran right. over, over on an accident. Right. No, I get it. Uh, what's your call? It, uh, so, then that leads me to the, we talked about uh, Black History Month, which right. was Black History Week. It was Negro History Week. Negro, History, Negro History Week. Right. Now, there's another one, right? When you watch something from uh, the Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin era, and they're hanging out with Sammy Davis Jr., and mm-hmm. they're saying, this Negro, and that's not something that you can, like, it's like Oriental. That's mm-hmm. not something that, and it almost is a thing where you have to keep up on, boy, if you were put into cryo sleep for 30 years and woken up and you were just talking when you were talking, yeah. people look at you like, have you lost if your you mind? Lost mind. Yeah, you, can't you? you can't say those that. things right. Um, which, so, okay, so... The, the one that, that drives me nuts with my, I have, I have, um, I see people that are of the same complexion I am, and they have less tolerance for an African-American young man walking around with his pants hanging down than they do this complete redneck living in a trailer park, and he's, you know, uh, that uh, the, the one guy that I actually like, I think he's funny because I think he's playing on it, is that catfish guy mm-hmm. that's on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. But there's people that are living like that, right? right. They're right. and everything else. And to me, I have no tolerance for that because that's my, you're reflecting on me. Mm-hmm. I don't want, don't do that. Like, that. that's not cool, dude. Well, you have, you have uh, a certain amount of uh, African-Americans that are really offended by sagging pants, too, and you might see on Facebook, should uh, there be sagging pants laws and blah, blah. You know, I don't like sagging pants, but that's not a criminal issue. It's an expression. It's, you can do right, it. Right. It's not a criminal issue. And we, meaning myself and a lot of other people, are offended by black males with sagging pants. But we live in a society where you have pornography all over television, right. like, like softcore porn. Uh, you're not offended by cleavage. You're not offended necessarily by an attractive woman showing her butt crack. Right. But that young man, the black young male yeah. showing his pants, I don't like it. 
Right. But that's a parenting issue, if anything. Yes. My son does right. not sag his pants. Right. But when I see those young men... I couldn't I, even imagine it, Kwame. To be no, with you, right? it's never going to happen. Right, right, right. I don't think that we need any other reason for a police officer to engage black males. You're walking down the street and the police officer gets to pull, uh, yep. uh, uh, interact with you because your pants are hanging too low, which could have tragic consequences. Sure. And that's not something I would make a legal issue. That's a home issue. That's a parenting issue. Right, right, right. right. There, there should be some rationale as to why you shouldn't right. do that. Um, that's fine. But so, you know, there, there's people that are upset about that. And there's people that say things like, if there's going to be a Black History Month, why wouldn't there be a White History Month or a White Pride Month? Or- the public school system is has been White History Month. Right, right. I mean... Right. As part of the civil rights movement, what a, what a lot of people don't understand that, like I was mentioning, the black arts movement, you had protests where people were advocating for the inclusion of black people and other minorities in curriculums because it was not there. So this is something I think that even Samuel Jackson may have been involved in when he was in college. You know, he was involved in protests like that to get black studies implemented into curriculums right right so so, so what, what so, i want you to do though is explain so like i've got people that are so like, in my life that have no connection with an african-american guy and certainly not with a guy that's as intelligent as you are so explain to them how black history month came about well, that, that that yes i'd love, love that that would be great information but also how there's a difference between and i draw the same distinction between the gay pride and the straight, the, they try to do a straight pride parade. You've never been, you've never been ashamed of being right. straight. White like history, European history was never marginalized right. in America. Right. It was never marginalized. So Carter G. Woodson, I forgot what school he went to. It was actually he, romanticized, right. in fact. When where he was, it was, yeah, exactly. When he was trying Lincoln was to, not who he was. Columbus was not who he was. No. Right. When he was trying to study black history, he was interested in black history, and he was told that black people had no history, that they only had folklore. So his goal was to document uh, black history. So he started the Journal of Negro History, and he wrote uh, scholarly articles on black history. And then he started uh, Negro History Week. I forgot which what year, but it was in the early uh, 20th century. He started Negro History Week in the month of February, which okay. eventually evolved into Black History Month. And the reason that he picked February was because Abraham Lincoln was born in February and Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist, was born in February. Right. Some people make comments. He's not alive anymore. That, and they say, right, and they say, <laughs> oh, well, they, they gave us, meaning white people gave us the shortest month, and they are ignorant of that history. They didn't give us anything. No, this right. was something that... We chose, Carter G. Right. Woodson, chose, a black yes. man, chose. Right. And right. that's how it came about. And right. it has nothing to do with uh, disrespecting the accomplishments of people of European descent. Right. It's right. documenting things that were not documented. And you have sure. to understand, too, that when he started this celebration, uh, you might be half a century at the time out of slavery. So you have all of this... Uh, social degradation of black people you could go to stores and buy products uh in regular grocery stores that had the word the n-word on it yeah and films that depicted black people in a negative way so you can imagine what that might do to the self-esteem of a group of people so sure. he set about counteracting that in the way that he felt that he could right and i mean some people are willfully ignorant on the situation because 
I've gone to uh, gun shows. I've gone to flea markets in the South and stuff like that. And the things you can find, oh, yeah. they're appalling. Mm-hmm. I mean, there you can find booklets of black people with photos of them hanging. Mm-hmm. You can find all kinds of the watermelon stuff well, and the blackface stuff. When lynching was at its height, you know, some lynchings were announced in churches. And you people would gather their families and they would go by the thousands to watch a lynching. I have a couple of books. One is uh, by Ralph Ginsburg. It's called 100 Years of Lynching. And it's all articles of lynching. Uh, there's another one called Without Sanctuary, Lynching Photography in America. So it was a very common thing. Right. You could, you could go to, say, a butcher shop and they might have some body parts of an Af- a lynched African-American on display in some cases, ears and other souvenirs. You know, it was just something that was very right, right. open. Right. Very right. much open. So, I mean, and some of this, I like when people act like they, you know, don't understand the difference between, you know, White History Month, Black History Month, and stuff like that. Like, maybe the, I, I want to feel like maybe they don't know this existed. Maybe they don't know that, you know, like uh, um, my dad used to do a thing where he had, uh, he traded or, or, or dealt in uh, old currency, so mm-hmm. like cowboy money. Right. But when you would go to those shows, you could always find a couple guys in there that had all of that crazy, cra- like they had everything from like, uh, you know, tickets to the World's Fair and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then you'd find the guy that's got all of the black paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my Lord, what are you doing with all like, why is this? And people are buying this yeah. and putting it in a drawer somewhere in their house. Mm-hmm. I don't know why um i i think i would if i was an african-american i think i'd want to buy some of it just to preserve it just to make sure it was i have never, some of it right, right replicas replicas so yeah, so there's a reminder of this is why mm-hmm. you need a month set aside where you can say hey you know when you were in school you didn't hear about this guy that helped build the railroad you didn't hear mm-hmm. about this guy that helped build the west and everything else or you didn't hear about the tuskegee airmen and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing because it just wasn't mainstream taught in the schools as far as that goes. Yeah, it's and not, then, and even now, it's still not taught in some schools where you have a large African-American population. Uh, you might assume that a lot of black people are aware of uh, black history in America or uh, history before slavery in Africa. That's not necessarily the case. Right, right, right. No, I think I think it's I think it's some of its ignorance and some of its willful ignorance. Mm-hmm. They wanna be they don't wanna know that mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And the podcast for me is a good way to talk about those sort of things. So maybe because what I I mean, so you know, I don't think I, I think immediately when I met you, I always sort of got along with you, mm-hmm. always sort of talked to you. Um, our sons were similar in weight, so they were always kind of practicing together and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I, I don't know if your impression of me to begin with at any point was ever like, oh, yeah, this guy might be a little bit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. nutty with the race or anything like that. But I never even thought twice about it. And then we didn't we sort of touched on it, but we didn't. Why did you drive from Chicago to take your son out to New Lenox? <laughs> For God, that's, that's it was, a haul. It man. was not necessarily intentional. What I was looking for as I learned more about uh, wrestling you know, IKWF and all of that was that the wrestling season, the off season was longer than the season. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I had kind of like the same philosophy that I had about education that in order for you to get better, 
academically, you have to spend more time on academics. Yeah, right. right so right. I knew that as he got older, I figured that the pool of wrestlers would thin out. The kids that did not do Absolutely. the off-season training, right, right. it's going to thin out. Yeah. And if you don't do off-season training, it's going to be apparent yep. that you didn't do off-season right. training. And I wanted to always give my son the best opportunity in anything that I put him in. And I wasn't going to put him out there right. to get smashed. Right. So when he was maybe in, uh, I think his second year, he might have been in seventh, I'm sorry, third grade, he got demolished by this kid. I mean, he got mopped. And I remember him just looking up at the sky with all right. these... Like now you started out with another like, club, though, yeah. right? And, 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 and I was County looking Warriors at no, no. Or? He was with uh, Rich Rattlers. Rich Rattlers. Rich okay. Rattlers. So Which was, let's you know t- the demographics there. Yeah, mostly African American. Mostly African American. Right, right. So what happened was I was looking for off-season opportunities and trying to get some of the male parents in that club to take advantage of some of these off-season opportunities because right. we had a nice, solid group of kids that I felt could get better. Yep. But for whatever reason, they just were not interested. So that was the year that uh, I came to Storm. So I had no intention of staying there. Okay. You sure, know, sure. Yeah, with Lincoln but, Way. Then right. After, right. Storm Wrestling Academy in the off season. Then I said, okay, well, maybe I'll just keep him here. And honestly, I didn't necessarily realize how far it was from my job or how many clubs <laughs> right. I was driving past right. sure, to sure, get sure, there. Sure, sure. But I also like my son to be comfortable. So once he started to get comfortable and familiar, I said, I'm going to keep him there. And I think I drove from like South Loop, Chicago to New Lenox. I did that for about five years. Now, as coaches, we were we were put on that we were unintentionally somehow treated Amir better than he was treated at Rich Rattlers as far as respect goes for like you know trying to develop them and stuff like that like they had athletes that they liked better there so like you know that was part of the reason why you were taking them out by us was you know we were giving them a little more attention as i think that he was just getting more i think he was just getting some some more advanced training yeah i'll tell you what i saw and it really it really bothered me to leave that club because i loved that club sure sure, it was like a family i really Love that club, and I really appreciate everything that they did for Mir. But I just felt that he needed to. I needed to move him. All, move him all I saw in Amir was a guy that was working harder than most of the other guys. So as soon as I see that, I gravitate towards that, and mm-hmm. I got. If I got any tips for the guy that's working harder, that that's. What, I didn't couldn't care less what color he was or anything. And wrestling for me has been a. It's a real gateway to not worrying about race or any or religion or any of that stuff because we've got a lot of Muslims that mm-hmm. are there. And I have never seen a group of people more. That, so, you know, some of these people, I think the Alawales and stuff like that, all the parents all lived in, you know, wherever they came from. I don't know. I don't even mm-hmm. know if it's Iran or Iraq or wherever they right. came from. Uh, Afghanistan. I don't know. I'm not even, I never asked them, but they packed up everything that they had moved out of those countries to a place that they don't, they're not, they're, they're for sure the minority. In fact, mm-hmm. they're probably, for a lot of people, disliked. Mm-hmm. And they assimilated awesome. They're going to Bears games. Their kids are playing football. Their kids are wrestling. And for me, anybody who puts their kid in wrestling has automatically got a little bit of a pass for me because somehow you're smart enough to understand what's going on here and see the value in what's happening. So then you're automatically on another 
level with me. You know what I mean? When I see the kids walking by and they're taking their kids to football or basketball, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you got yeah. you got it all wrong, man. Um, so you know, the the Muslim thing is another one that I got friends that are real upset about, and like. If you knew him like I knew him, maybe being upset about Muslims in the in, United yeah, States. Yeah, just, just in I mean, general. I see a lot of people saying things like they want to institute Sharia law. I'm like, I have, I have never. Got, I don't know I've where they're getting that from. No, I've, I've I don't even know where they're getting that from. I mean, I think they want to be able to practice their religion the way they want to, and they don't want to be infringed on that. Mm-hmm. I don't think they should like be. anybody else. But they don't want you to practice their religion, right? I don't. I don't think it's that way. I think that. Uh, Christians are more overtly want you to practice their religion mm-hmm. than, you know, like we want laws that reflect our Christian beliefs mm-hmm. more than I see Muslims do it. But I mean, I don't watch the same news. So, I mean, maybe they're seeing that somewhere right. or something like it's that. It's got to be coming from but, somewhere. Right. No, no one I've ever talked to has had that mentality on anything. So, so I don't know. And I'd but, like to, you know, when people say that, I mean, I'm, I'll read something and I'll listen, but no one has ever really given me a convincing argument that that's the case. I, I'm a firm believer in the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that it should be, I don't think that any religion should tell me how to live my life. If I'm not a religious person, then, you know, like, I mean, there's gotta be laws for things. Uh, that's the one gun control thing I get into all the time. Like, you know, if you can't make laws that pertain to gun control, because criminals don't follow laws, then no laws. Then why should you have laws at all? At all, any laws, right, which don't make any sense. And it just sounds as dumb as saying, you know, until you think about it. But, yeah, so, I mean, you know, there, I, I wanted you to come on the podcast because I wanted to put someone out there that, you know, is intelligent, speaks intelligently, has a background in history of all things for sure. And maybe some of the people who have hard feelings for, you know, African-Americans could maybe get a different look at it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And be like, all right, because most of these people, even though they may have those feelings, like they understand who I am. Right. And we get along just fine and everything else. So they'll maybe look at it and be like, hey, Bill gets along with the guy fine. Mm-hmm. They had a you know two-hour conversation and maybe they can glean something from it because maybe they're just not exposed to it in the right well, way. I, I would think so because a lot of times, you know, people don't people don't talk. Right, right, right. And right, right, uh, right. if you have a disagreement, people take it personally, and then sometimes you lose sight of what you were even talking about because you start to make personal comments sure. about the person that have nothing to do with what the topic is. You see it all the time on the internet when um, politics yep. or religion yep, come, yep, up, yep. come up. And for me, that's just it's it's a a baseline of facts. And if if I am glad to change my view on something if the facts if the facts I had were not really the facts. If it most was people wrong, are not that way. Right. No, but I mean if if uh if somebody that I disagree with adamantly on if someone could show me that trickle down economics works, mm-hmm. they could they could actually point it out. Because right. I look at it like, hey, we started doing this dumb shit in the early eighties and this is how we got to where we're at right now. And if you look at the numbers CEOs are making 900% more money than they were in the 80s, mm-hmm. and the working guy's making 11% more than he was in right. the 80s, and that hasn't kept up with the fl- inflation. Right. My, my dad would say stuff like when he made $4 an hour as a butcher, he had more money in his pocket 
than when he made $30 an hour as a butcher mm. because of inflation, the right. way that it didn't go up with it. So, you know, if someone wants to, to, to show it to me, maybe I'll take another economic look at it. But bef- until you can show me how this has worked out, and it hasn't is the problem. The problem is I've got, the, I've got reality on my, on my side, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, they don't, but they get upset. So, like, I'm real liberal with everything social, but when it comes to, um, I don't, I don't want to see the Second Amendment gone. I think right. that people should have the right to bear arms. Um, but I don't believe that the right to bear arms is because we're somehow going to take over our government. I believe that the, the you know, in the Constitution, it was put there so that if another country came in, mm-hmm. you could take up arms and defend yourself. Not your the, the the fantasy of taking over your own country with your shotguns you bought at Walmart is a dumb dumb no, way to think about gonna, things. So it's not realistic. Um, but like I said, I don't want I want sensible gun laws for the same reason that the guy who doesn't want any gun laws. I want it because it preserves the Second Amendment. If things get so bad that we're at a point where someone says we're going to get rid of the Second Amendment. Things must have gotten really, really bad. Yeah. Um, and I think we're actually headed there. I think the sentiment publicly is changing on things. I don't know, you know, how that's going. And to be somebody in the, in, you work every day in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Do you fear for your life every day because of the news saying that so many people get killed and all that? Other no, stuff? you know, growing up there, it's gotten worse since when I grew up. But it's not something that you think about all the time. But I do frame my decisions around the fact that there is danger and i have discussed these things with my son like for example well you know going to this particular store at the in this particular area is not necessarily a good idea good, stopping right? at this gas station no sure or going to the gas station late at night not a good idea right, right. be careful with who you associate with don't get into arguments with people uh for example i remember driving to the high school i was working at and a guy is blocking the street and he's just leaning into the car talking just decides to block the street i put my car in park and i enjoyed my coffee and my music yeah right right right. because if i honk the horn at him which is what he wants yeah now i have a confrontation right right right. okay so so let me ask you this why not uh you're a guy that's got education you've got tenure with the schools and stuff like you got a background why not just move to Super safe neighborhood and get out of there. Well, one of the things is if you work for the uh, city of Chicago, you have to live in the city of Chicago. Okay. They have a residency requirement. Yeah, but why not just work for Naperville? No, you know, I actually prefer being around kind of in the environment that I grew up in. Even though it can be a tough environment, it's been it's been tough, but it's been very fulfilling. Right, so you're giving back. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. I, I, get, right, I can see that. I had, being... a, I had a former student look me up on Facebook, and I get this sometime. Uh, he was in my inbox, and he was saying, hey, this is so-and-so, and I couldn't quite picture who he was at first because it's been so many years. Sure. And, you know, I just want to thank you because you did this for me, and you, you bought me some T-shirts when my shirts were dirty, and, you know, you know, I'm almost I'm 30 years old now, and, you know, those types of things. Little things like that are a huge help. They give you a little bit of energy to right, continue because right, right, right. it can be uh, yeah. very tough. I'll tell you what, I've had no more fun or no more – happiness than when i see somebody that's like you know uh 25 years old or something mm-hmm. like hey coach 
Yeah. I'm like, get out of here. Really? Yeah. You know, I coached you for like two years when mm-hmm. you were whatever. And, you know, then you moved on or, you, you know, you went to the next room and I wasn't coaching anymore. But I'm still coach. So that's great. You know right. what I mean? That's, it's, it's good to give back and everybody should. For me, um, that's my form of patriotism. You don't mm-hmm. see me. Uh, I got flags at my house, but you don't see me waving them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not my thing. I mean, I, I love the flag. I love the anthem. When they play them at the, at the uh, wrestling meets, I hand on my heart and I'm mouthing the words. But my form of patriotism is to do something else for other Americans. And then that's what helps the mm-hmm. country get better right. sort of thing. Uh, I gave an analogy to a buddy of mine that's really into that, like nationalism stuff. And I said, listen, the difference between nationalism and patriotism is one's kind of obnoxious and the other one's helpful. helpful yeah. So, you know, if I live in my neighborhood and I'm out there all the time and I'm working on my house and I'm quietly doing it and I'm making my house is the best house it can be in the whole neighborhood and I'm doing everything. It's painted, it's polished, it's it's just beautiful, my home, right? And it becomes the best home in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's patriotism. Right. If I just get on my bike and I ride around town, holler, my house is the best house in the neighborhood, and I'm waving a picture of my house around, that's nationalism and Nas- obnoxious. Nationalism... Uh has been historically connected to racism and imperialism right, and right. colonialism because when I become the best, then I feel that you are the least and I have to export yes, right. my way of right, life right. to you. Yes. And I'm going to make you better, make you better, but you are still inferior. Right, right, right. It's, that's, how, that's how some people have practiced their nationalism. Right. And right, you right, can't right, right. And you can't. Well, you can question, also dehumanize someone right. because you're not It involves the same. dehumanization. Right. And you can't question the government uh questioning the government is unpatriotic yeah which i i try and keep a balance in that so um i voted for barack obama twice and uh, after the second time i was a little let down i was actually mm-hmm. a little bit like dude that second time out you took more money from goldman sachs than anyone else has ever taken mm-hmm. you know you I, I you're a sellout and it bothers me yeah like i had such high hopes for this and it didn't really go where i wanted to go and as a, as a black man you will have people that feel that black people some black people that will feel that he is above criticism because he's a black man we're not in right. his fan club right 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 we're his constituents and we need to hold him accountable just as we would hold anyone else accountable. Sure. He's articulate. He has a beautiful family. I would argue you got to hold okay, him more accountable because he's representative. Right, great. He's articulate. He's got a beautiful family. We love it. Okay, fine. What are the policies? But you have a certain element that would say if you question him that you are somehow disloyal to black people. And sure. I don't I don't think that that's right I would or argue, smart. I would argue also that Donald Trump's the best thing that ever happened to Barack Obama. I mean... To see that contrast between a guy who was, who handled, you know, crisis in the right mm-hmm. way to 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 speak correctly to mm-hmm. you know all this other stuff, you know, I mean, he was criticized for wearing a tan suit, right? You know, and stuff like that. So to 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 be the guy who carried himself in this way, look at his family is is all together. I keep seeing this thing that I haven't fact checked about his daughter getting arrested, which I I don't know if it's nonsense yeah, or what it is, yeah. but. So they're trying to make it, you know, some some screwy thing. But then to have this guy who can't spell and he can't have a coherent sentence mm-hmm. and, and he's just saying all these things. I mean, you know, my thing with the with the, the Trump supporters, it's either you're three things. You're ignorant to the racist things he does or 
you don't care about the racist things he does. Well, you know, or we, you're a racist. We, we talked a little bit about this, the the nuance of racism, where people will uh, defend Trump and say, "Well, look, he's he got an award for doing this for black people. Yeah. He can't be racist." Right. You had racists in the abolition movement. You had civil rights activists that were racist. Right. You have different levels to it. As I said, we mentioned that. You might have a racist that would be very much in favor of lynching black people, where you might have another racist who says, we need to follow the letter of the law. I'm not going to join the Klan, but I will join the White Citizens Council. We wear shirts and ties. We don't wear sheets. Sure. It's not all just, you know, right. there's some gray area. In the year 2019, there's a lot of gray 2020, area. anything, if, if you're abiding by it, then you're, just like we talked about the Germans being, if you're turning a blind eye to it, you're biting that that situation. You can't do that. You need to be able to say, you know, if you're a if it's like uh, the the Kavanaugh thing, and that they found that woman at at a Republican thing, and they showed her the you know the problems with the guy, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, I didn't you know I didn't know that there was these problems, and then they had another woman that because of the news she watched, she didn't realize in the Mueller report that there was any problem. At all, mm. and then they showed the ten instances of obstruction of justice. And she's mm-hmm. like, "I didn't know that that was actually what was going on." That's not. I I feel a little bit different about it. I think the baseline of facts and information is the best way for that those things to get out to people so they can understand it. Now, you know, everybody takes it to an extreme. Like I said, we didn't talk about it, but like my question would be like, I don't get cultural appropriation. If I want to wear dreadlocks, can I? Uh, yeah, you can. I mean, if you have why why would if there you be... have if you have uh, respect? I think one of the problems is is that in many cases, black people may not be welcome in certain areas, but black culture is. And this has been a huge That's a fact. This has right. been a huge problem. Like even if you just deal with music, like the history of say rock and Elvis. roll or whatever, where uh, for a long time certain radio stations would not play a song by a black artist, but they would have, say, a white artist, maybe like Pat Boone or right. the Diamonds or some of those other groups, and they would record the black music and make it more uh, palatable for the white audiences because they did some not Some of them, want... if you didn't look at them, you wouldn't know they weren't, but they weren't black. Right. I mean, Dusty Springfield, you would think, was right. a black woman until you're like, oh, she's right. as white as can be. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. But she's faking it. You know right. what I mean? Sort of a thing. Right. 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 So... Uh, when you talk about, like, say, dreadlocks, for example, or black people wearing natural hair, in many uh, mainstream in- instances, black people wearing their hair, the way it naturally comes out of their scalp, is offensive to certain people. And, really? like, when you think about corporate America or something like that, it's just now becoming more acceptable for black people, even among black people, oh, yeah, to yeah, wear okay. natural hairstyles. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah, so you're just saying, like, I mean, just so I'm getting this, because you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not right. a woke white dude. If if a guy just grows just a straight up afro, and I don't mean unkempt, that your hair's, I don't mean that. So I mean you've grown Eddie yourself. Murphy's haircut was fine, or not fine. Was, no, no, that might have been okay. okay. Okay, but but it was more. But so, Billy D. Williams. That was more like a looks more like, like a, a perm. white guy's right. Yeah, because yeah, he that like, was very acceptable. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. So, very yeah. palatable. Right, 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 right. right. Even amongst. Even amongst black people, because there's a there's a it's a bit longer story than I have time to yeah, tell. But no, part of sure. the degradation of slavery was the shame of being black. Everything black, your 
everything about you is bad. So part of that black arts movement that I put, that I mentioned and the black is beautiful and all of that was embracing the fact that, okay, I am proud of my dark skin. I'm proud of my natural hair. I'm going to wear my hair natural. I'm proud of this. Right. That was a struggle even among black people because the previous generation, you typically permed your hair. You pressed it to be more like white people yeah right you conked right, your right, hair right, right sure sure right. sure. okay all right so that was a struggle and it still is yeah right right no no well i mean i see it a lot too where a lot of the black women are wearing all the wigs and everything else and mm-hmm. it looks like you know white hair mm-hmm. as far as that goes it may be black but it's it's absolutely it's, it's we spend not, millions of dollars if not billions billions right, right. buying other people's hair, hair right, right, right 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 which is your choice but it's one thing to purchase weave and that's what you want to wear but it's another thing to look down upon the way your hair naturally comes out of your scalp. Okay. That's a whole nother uh, problem. Well, all right. I, I will wrap it up here. But I, I sure. hope that things are, it seems like things are moving in the right direction. I think that we've hit like a, uh, I think it's an ebb and flow thing mm-hmm. where we've kind of hit this Trump thing where we brought a lot of people out of the closet that mm-hmm. were, you know, had these things to say in private, but now they're saying in public, which is a little weird. Um <laughs> But um, also, I hope that I hope that people of any color could listen to this podcast and could maybe gleam something different than, than the, maybe the feeling that they had about something mm-hmm. else. But I got one other question for you, and that is, so we talked about the admonishing, you know, the records of people that were, you know, marijuana uh, mm-hmm. affected as far as non-violent, yeah, non-violent offense. But how do you feel about society as a whole and the African? American community as a whole is legalizing it going to be a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I think that remains to be seen. Um, personally, I mean, I don't smoke marijuana. I think smoking, period, is bad, but. I can't function on it, so I'm I mean, not, not, I've, I've tried I'm, it. I just I'm not exactly it. sure. I'm not exactly sure how that's, how that's going to go. Right, 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 right. That's a, that's a good question. I'm I just sure. worry about people that are marginalized and then they're being... And I think one of the other the economic aspects that bothers me is there were all these conservatives who were prosecuting people for this thing right. who are now invested in those businesses. I, yes. I do see it the reason why we should, like, I don't want to say culture appropriate, but maybe put people that were in that community that were, you know, if it was a cultural thing for them to do, if you're a Rastafarian guy, mm-hmm. then maybe you should have the first opportunity to open the distillery or, you know, the the, the place that to make some money off of a situation that, be, that was that prosecuting would be, you. That would be nice, but uh, the way I'm seeing some of these laws that are being implemented as far as what you need to do to get into that business it's pretty tough. Yeah, right. Yeah, you got to be wealthy expensive. already. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, you're that, not going to. That's to me the stuff that. You don't have the means. Most people just don't have the means. Right. To do if that. white and black and Mexican and yellow, we could all get together and understand that, listen, there's a game being rigged here. And it's mm-hmm. rigged in a situation where they see a big profit in something and yeah. then they start, they start investing in it. It's the same as the oil industry mm-hmm. puts out all this propaganda about wind being a terrible thing. But in the background, they're investing in wind and renewables because mm-hmm. they're going to convert themselves into that money-making situation. And they'll have a head start. Right, exactly, exactly. But the propaganda is, you know, the dumb shit that it causes cancer and kills right. birds. But 
you know, really it's going to make a lot of money and it's going to be a safer world and, and all the other stuff. But thanks so much, man. I, I appreciate you coming out here. And I mean, I hope I didn't step over any lines asking any questions. I, no, I just no. try and... All the questions were... Uh... I was open to pretty much anything. Good, good. I, I, I just want to ask as many tough questions as I can to try and get, you know, whatever thoughts, you know, or especially, like I said, a guy, I have tons of respect for you. Um, I have tons of respect for, I, mean, I didn't give so much of a background of what I think of you, but I mean, you, you seem to be an, an outstanding parent. Um, your pictures on Facebook, you look like you're a really good cook. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. So, I mean... You know, you're doing a hell of a job with, with your son, Amir. He, you know, he's a terrific young man. Um, and, you know, so I have all the respect in the world for you. And then the fact that you've got the education that you've got and you're, you know, doing the things you're doing and giving back to your to your neighborhood and everything else. You know, I, I want a guy like that on, on the podcast for sure. I appreciate and if that. I could find anybody else with another angle, you know, let me know. If, if I, I hate to say it, but if there's somebody out there that, that you know, is totally – for segregate, like wants to go back to the 40s and 50s, and you want to get on there and tell me about it, I'm not going to agree with you, mm-hmm. but I'll gladly listen to what you have to say. Maybe we can get out in the open. Maybe we can find some common ground where we can move ahead and, you know, get this thing not, you know, the violence is the problem. And sometimes I look at some of the societal things that go on, and I think we're a powder keg at some points. I think so, too. Uh, before those, those recent mass shootings took place, I was having a conversation with a friend, and I'm not saying that I blame Donald Trump, it's all his fault. It's not what I'm saying. Right. What I did say to him was that some of this rhetoric is very, very dangerous. It's irresponsible. And as the uh, of the president, as a leader, he needs to be that's more right. cautious that's right. of what he lets come out that's of his right. mouth. That's where I draw the issue. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has nothing to do... If Donald Trump was a private citizen and he, he wanted did. to pay for time on TV to say shitty things about people, well, great. You can right. do that. That's just fine. But when you're the president of the United States, it holds more it weight. It holds more weight. Right, right. And you can't just... You, you can't dehumanize the squad. You can't, none of that stuff. You can't right. do that stuff. Like, that's not, that's anti American. And if that's I say, I don't agree strong. with him, say, for example, dehumanizing the squad, people think that that means that I'm just a strong supporter of the squad. It doesn't. I don't, not, I don't really have a care either way with the squad. Right. They're neither. not representative of me. No. They're not, they're not in my district. I don't know. The, the, for my, my joke always on Facebook is the right has made AOC the most famous. I, nobody would know who she was if it wasn't for those people. If I look at the, the news feed on there, it's post after post about this woman. Right. That, I mean, I, I started, I post maybe three of them just to, just to jab back at them <laughs> a little bit for fun. But I wouldn't. She's in some little district in New right. York. I couldn't care less. But you know, okay. it's, it's it's crazy. So, but thanks again. Um, Thank you. Hope everybody you know gets get something out of this. Uh, I got to tag it off all the time because I'm always looking for subscribers to my uh, to my YouTube channel. Um, I don't do this for any money. Um, if you would please let me know what you think about what I'm doing here. Um, I'm doing it for great conversations. I'm doing it for information and a long form format so if i could you know get a couple more subscribers on youtube you know if you're passing around your friends i'd really appreciate it too all right thanks man thank you